The history of television is a history of failure. For every television series that lasted years and years, there were dozens that lasted only one season or less. But did they deserve to die? Or were they... Cancelled too soon? And welcome back to Cancel Too Soon, the podcast where we review television series that lasted only one season or less. That's the third or fourth time we've tried to do the intro. We've got a case of the giggles today. <laughs> we're we're a little goofy and overcaffeinated and on cold medicine. Uh, my name is William Bibiani. I'm a film critic for the internet. Everybody calls me Bibbs. Uh, my name is Whitney Seibel. I too am a film critic, and that's not scary. I never said it was. No, I, I wrote a, a review for a horror film, uh-huh. and every response to my review of the horror film, which was a good review, mm-hmm. was a positive review. Positive review. Yeah. They said it's not scary. It's not scary. I don't understand, I, I, and I don't understand that mindset. I understand if you didn't find it scary, fine, but I don't understand bragging about finding something not scary. It's you know yeah, what? It's, like, it's it's geek machismo. It's what I, it's what geeks have instead of machismo. There's I guess. There's, a, there's a certain type of horror uh, fan, really hardcore mm. horror fans, many of whom mm. I, I like and, and even respect, mm. who say that horror movies don't scare them anymore. And I'm just like, then why watch? Like, I, granted, some of them aren't supposed to be scary, but mm. like. Some a lot of them are, and you need to be able to access the part in yourself that goes. Yeah. That, that, that's really terrifying. Yeah, that's the point, isn't it? Mm. I, I don't know. It's a whole huge digression because we're not talking about that. We're talking. We're, this this is, is not a horror show. We're doing this week. Uh, I cancel too soon. In fact, uh, this is the first installment of an entire month-long series. That we have elected to do, that we've been wanting to do for a long time. Ever since and we did Man and Machine mm-hmm. back in like the like the first ten episodes we did of this, this is one of our earlier episodes. We did Man and Machine, where a, a hard boiled cop was granted a, a robot partner, mm-hmm. and we thought, "Wow, what if we did a whole month of that?" Well, you know what? Now we're doing a whole month of that. Welcome to Cops with Robot Partners Month. Hooray! A, month, a whole month of shows about cops with robot partners. It's well named. <laughs> Uh, yeah, there is a weird preponderance. I mean, there's not a million of them, but there's quite a few television series about a human cop whose partner is a robot trying to learn what it means to be human. By being a cop. And near as we can tell, all of them were canceled in one season or less. Mm. Like, I, there's a couple that, like, oh, there's a cyborg, maybe. But, like, no. With robot? No. One season or less. Basically every time. The prime example of this, and as near as we can tell, the first show ever to do this is a show called Holmes and Yo-Yo, which we cannot find. We've been looking and we can't find it. We're able to track down like a couple of episodes, but uh, it's only ever been properly released on DVD in Europe and it's dubbed and there are no English subtitles. There were English subtitles. We'd do it. We can't. So for all of you who are excited, like they're doing Cops with Robot Partners Month, we'll finally get Holmes and Yo-Yo. We're still looking, but we do have enough for a whole month of this stuff. <laughs> Apart from Holmes and Yo-Yo yeah. and Man and Machine, the show we already covered. And what's weird about uh, uh, Holmes and Yo-Yo was it was the first TV series to do this. The second came out just a couple months after Holmes and Yo-Yo on the same network. They were really committed to this concept. Well, you know what? 
to be fair, it's a pretty cool concept. Nothing wrong with the concept. Yeah. The concept's fun. I, yeah. who, who's to say why it fails week after week after week? But yeah. we're here to explore that. So let's take a look at a uh, at an action-adventure cop show mm-hmm. aired on NBC from... Uh, what was it? 1977, I believe. Or 76 uh, was the was, first episode. It was 19... No, it was 1977. 77, I, right. I, I, My handwriting is illegible. I think it was from March 1st the, to April the, 22nd. The pilot was on March 1st, 1976. And then they just had the pilot, and then they held it for a year. Oh, that's And they happened. redid a pilot. Oh, I guess it wasn't a pilot. They just started the series up a year later in 1977. Mm-hmm. And then they ran five episodes... And then they stopped again and waited another year and burned off the final two-part episode under a new title as a TV movie in 1978. So technically, this one season lasted three years. Well, we're going to talk about that last episode because this episode was weird. This whole whole show was weird, actually. Uh, Let's talk about a little show called Future Cop. My name is Joe Clayton. For 14 years, I've been partnered with the man on my left here, Bill Bundy. We never had a secret from each other until now. This good-looking kid on my right, a rookie cop called Haven, he's the secret. He looks human, talks and acts human, but he's not. He's an android, a robot, the perfect cop, the cop of the future, a future cop. Ta-da! Uh, there is a 61% probability, therefore, the location is Santa Monica Municipal. How could he know all of that? Man, that's the fastest white boy I've ever seen. Yeah. I know. <laughs> okay, so future cop. <laughs> Not set in the future, by the way. No, the cop is futuristic, but it takes place in the present day. Mm-hmm. Takes place in Southern California. Ernest Borgnine. <laughs> Academy Award winner, Ernest Borgnine. Yeah, the star of uh, The Wild Bunch and The Poseidon Adventure and Airwolf. And uh, he plays... A beat cop uh, who is given a robot partner, a robot partner whose name is Haven, played by Michael Shannon. Don't get excited. It's not that one. Uh, Michael J. Shannon. Different Michael Shannon. Uh, He was on a Cancel Too Soon series called Riker. Uh, Most recently, his most recent big credit was he had a small role in that John Cusack, Edgar Allan Poe movie, The Raven. Um, (laughs) He's... Given to Ernest Borgnine, Ernest Borgnine is responsible for teaching him the ropes, seeing if this whole robot cop thing is going to be a good idea in the future, and that's basically Mm. the show. Also, he already has a partner, but he's given a second partner. Yeah, well, he's... Okay, let's run down the cast real fast. We had Ernest Borgnine, he plays Mm. Officer Joe Cleaver. Mm -hmm. Uh, We have Haven, the robot, played by Michael Shannon. We have Officer Bill Bundy, who is, uh, initially he's Ernest Borgnine's partner. Mm -hmm. Uh, He's played by John Amos, who's probably best known as uh, the the dad from Coming to America, who owns the McDonald's knockoff restaurant. But he was also in in Good Times, The Beastmaster, The West Wing. He was on a Kansas Too Soon Soon series I want to track down called 704 Hauser, which is about the family that moved into Archie Bunker's house after Archie Bunker. Oh, jeez. That sounds terrible. That's not, and the, and the that ghost of really, Archie Bunker. Isn't that a yeah. really thin concept? <laughs> Can you imagine if they had done that, if you had just done, like, the Andersons? And it's just like, we have the Brady Bunch set. After the Brady's moved, this family moved in. Why would I watch that? I would watch that if they were, like, a satanic cult or something. Like, if, if they were just opposite of the Brady's. Well, like, in, in, the, um, 
in 704 Hauser, it's actually like a, a, a sort of mixed ethnic family. Uh-huh. Like a whole bunch of like people from different like ethnicities are living together. So I guess their whole They're thing is like... moving into the house of a bigot. Yeah. Uh, so it's like, yeah. oh, okay. But like after you sort of know that concept, what more do you need? I'm curious to find out how they thought that was going to work. Mm-hmm. So someday we'll track down 704 Hauser. Um, that's the main cast. We're going to talk about some of the supporting cast um, in a bit. Um, but uh, yeah, so cop, robot partner... Los Angeles. Th- that's about it, really. Yeah. Well. Yeah. They they have this, and it's it's not like there's robots everywhere. He's a prototype. Haven is is a brand new type of robot, and he behaves a lot like Data. He doesn't have a lot of emotions. He's mm. curious about the way humanity operates, and nobody knows that he's a robot. Only Ernest Borgnine. Only a few people know my secret. Um, Ernest <laughs> Ernest Borgnine knows his secret, and uh, the the lady scientist who helped build Haven, and one other scientist guy. Like well, they're the only one, and and the chief of police. And it's really confusing because there's no reason not to tell his partner. There's no reason not to tell everyone, you know, that that they have this robot cop on the beat. I understand that they want to sort of test him in the public, Mm -hmm. and presumably there have been, like, years of tests before this, before they just sort of give him a a badge and a gun. I think the idea is they think it'll be funny if this guy is constantly acting like a robot, and they have to constantly pretend he's not a robot. Mm. But it makes no sense in the context of the story. But the thing that really makes no sense, and this is a trope that continued in Man and Machine, and I suspect we're going to see more of it Uh as cops with a robot partner month goes on there's also this weird trend in this genre in which in the first episode the cop who gets the robot partner isn't told he has a robot partner for a while <laughs> like this is your new partner why is he behaving so strangely oh he's a robot wait what no not even then it's like why it's, oh he's a rookie and then like a day goes by mm. and then his life is endangered because he doesn't know his partner is a robot yeah. and only then does he find out and he's well, not even that pissed if, if you work in sort of like a low risk job like you're just an accountant or a file clerk or something that would make sense it would that be you don't, fine you like, don't tell just to see if you like a coworker can figure it out. Yeah. But like we find when out- you're in a when you're a cop, you know, somebody who's a really stressful job is put in high risk situations a lot. Why would you increase the risk by not telling the cop? Yeah. Also, also, he has a gun and it has no bullets in it. Yeah, which they don't tell Ernest Borgnine. Which, so which Ernest Borgnine says, "Cover me." Which is a, a wise and b stupid. <laughs> it makes no sense <laughs> Both in this of those context. Things. All right. So the first yeah. episode was a TV movie. Mm-hmm. It was actually called Cleaver in Haven. Uh, just as fine a title. Just as well. But I think it's better than Future Cop. Future Cop implies that it takes place in the future. Yeah. Futuristic Cop would be fine, but mm. that's clunky. So just, you could just call it RoboCop. It hadn't been taken yet. Yeah. Uh, so uh, it was originally created by sort of. We'll talk mm. about this in a second. Uh, it was originally created by Anthony Wilson, uh, who has also worked on the Cancel Too Soon live action series of Planet of the Apes. Oh, nice. Uh, he also, uh, I believe, he wrote. The TV movie, Look What's Happened to Rosemary's Baby. <laughs> so I need to see one of these days. Uh, it was also co-written, uh, co-created by Alan Epstein, uh, who's behind the Cancel Too Soon series Doc Elliot. He spent a lot of his career producing TV movies. He produced the miniseries for It, which nice. a lot of people love. Okay. Um, but here's the dang thing. Future Cop was sued for plagiarism, and they won. <laughs> by... 
Harlan Ellison. The Sue Happy Harlan Ellison, who's, yeah. who had every idea. Yep, he um, did. He worked on Star Trek and The Outer Limits. He successfully, I think they might have settled out of court, but they successfully, he sued Terminator for ripping off his Outer Limits episodes. Uh-huh. And, uh, and then he got his name put on the credits of Terminator from that point on because mm. they screwed up and they like told Starlog they did it. <laughs> they did. It was in a well, bunch yeah. of Starlog. Uh, Harlan Ellison is, is a, a brilliant sci-fi writer who has spent more of his career... Uh, suing other people than he has coming up with new ideas. Mm, uh, careful, he might sue you. Uh, this is true. <laughs> if he's listening, I want to be kind of kind of tetchy here. We love you, Harlan. We love you, Harlan Ellison. Yeah. He's uh, very talented. He, he, very talented, and he, he wrote a story about a robot cop in the future. Along with along sci-fi with, writer uh, ben, Bova, ben Bova. yeah. Uh, who uh, also worked on, as a science advisor on a Cancel Too Soon series we're going to do someday called The Star Lost. Sounds sounds good. Yeah, it's sounds probably good. also I'll about a future it. cop for all the good titles they're doing nowadays. <laughs> um, yeah, they wrote a short story called Brillo, which was uh, about a cop who with a robot s- partner, and they actually scour pots. I don't know, they actually Brillo, yeah. pitched it to ABC, and ABC passed, and then they did Future mm-hmm. Cop. But what I love is no no point in in the history of this, and I haven't like been able to look through all the legal papers. Mm-hmm. At no point did they mention that ABC did Holmes and Yo Yo also. Uh, yeah, yeah. Like, and I'm on, I, I don't think Harlan Ellison sued Holmes and Yo-Yo. Yeah, but they sued Future Cop, and, and they, they won. won. <laughs> and it was a huge settlement, it was like 125 thousand dollars. And Harlan Ellison took that money and he bought a and he bought a billboard in like Los Angeles that was basically just like, "Don't writers, don't let them steal your work." <laughs> and it's so, it's like one of the first big landmark like plagiarism cases like mm-hmm. in in Hollywood. Like it was a big fucking deal. Um, so that might be one of the reasons why Future Cop didn't take off, but something tells me it, well, we're, it, we're, there are other reasons as well. We're going to go through the series and find other reasons, because as it turns out... It's a weird show. It, it's Well, it's kind of a dull show, is the problem. Well, yeah. Um, so yeah, we have a cop on the street. He has his robot partner. They don't tell him. They finally do tell him, and he's a little bit weirded out, but he goes along with it. Yeah. Uh, and over the course of working with robot partner for a, a few days, comes to like this weird, uh, curious childlike incredibly intelligent very good cop person thing that he's working with um the future cop can scan tire treads and spot the cars Mm -hmm. that they belong to just by looking at them see an infrared so he's he's you know super strong powder burns on people's hands like at the scene of the crime yeah there's a whole bit okay so it opens with Borgnine and John Amos, they're on the they're on the street. There's a series of car robberies going around on town that Ernest Borgnine is particularly invested in. There's a whole car chase. And then their car gets stuck. Ernest Borgnine takes after the the bad guy's car on foot. Mm. I'm going to say this right now. There, there should never be footage anywhere of Ernest Borgnine running. He does not look convincing <laughs> as someone who can run. And now this is, again, Borgnine was not a young man mm. when this series was made. Borgnine lived for like another like 30, 40 years after this. He lived mm. to be like 95. So he was like 50-something years old at mm. this point. And he looks 70. Like he's, he's, he's lived. Mm. Ernest Borgnine lived. And Ernest Borgnine lived without apparently getting a lot of cardio. Because <laughs> every time... A lot, of, a lot of bratwurst in his life. Yeah, listen, God bless him. He lived to 95. He was fine. But like... 
again, he every time he has to run in this series, it looks like someone is torturing him. It looks like someone's just like, oh, I hate that Borgman guy. How many how many uh, uh, scenes can we write where he has to run? Because he never looks comfortable doing it. He looks so like it opens with him like running out of his car and like taking after like a stolen Porsche that's going ninety miles an hour on foot, and then he like wheezes a bit and he's just like ah when i was younger i could have caught that car and you're like what (laughs) you couldn't no one could 20 years ago you looked the same as you do now it's it's crazy do you remember a Patton oswalt's bit about axel rose uh, axel rose who's who's, you know no no longer a spring chicken has put on a couple pounds and wants to sing welcome to the jungle for a big crowd the old all of the old members of guns and roses are gone yeah and no it was the big guns and roses like reunion thing though like it was like the big it was a big deal i remember like jimmy fallon was like no not jimmy fallon the other guy was it jimmy fallon Someone was hosting, and they were just like, it was a big fucking deal, and the MTV Music Awards and Movie Awards ended with, or Grammys, and it ended with Guns N' Roses coming back together, and and, and with Axl Rose and everyone. Patton Oswalt got to see this, and uh, Axl Rose ran out onto stage, like, they start playing the opening strains to Welcome to the Jungle, which, you know, will get anybody pumped up, because it's amazing. Great song. And just as they get through that big crescendo and he runs out on stage and he grabs the mic, but evidently he hasn't run even the length of a stage in so long that he was exhausted by the time he got there. A little winded. Welcome to... (sighs) (laughs) Shit! It's hilarious. It's it's a, hilarious. Listen, listen, people get old. They lose a step or two. All right. I, listen, I'm not going to star in any action movies anytime soon. I know that. I, it's I fine. Can, I can run almost a block. Oh That's God. it. Um, so, uh, so uh, we cut to a science lab mm-hmm. where a bunch of scientists are showing off to the police commissioner that they have this new police robot and they put him through a whole series of tests. Mm. In one of them, he has been kidnapped by communists. <laughs> And the communists are just like we will we will kidnap this police officer and we will we will use him to take over the the, the government and then Haven mm-hmm. proceeds to school them on the actual history of communism and how this this isn't the way this works. So he will make communists better. That's one. <laughs> the other one is, and this is like a scene out of Police Squad. Mm. It's a liquor store robbery, which an this old is lady, hilarious. an old yeah. lady comes in with a gun and gets in a shootout with the guy at the liquor store. All right, she shoots. Mm-hmm. The, she kills the guy at the liquor store. She tosses the gun to a bystander who happens to be black. Uh-huh. And then Haven comes in and she's like, "Oh, that guy killed the liquor store guy." And Haven takes one look at her and says, "Ma'am, you're under arrest," because he could tell there were powder burns mm-hmm. on her hands. And it was all—all all of those were fake. Uh-huh. All of those were were in like st- a, a test lab. Yeah. But I'm just like, those are. St- Stupid plots. <laughs> that's a stupid that, way to test that, a robot. That's something a cop might run into, though. I yes, but like you think about it, like in order to get powder burns on your hand, you had to use either real bullets or blanks at almost point blank, and blanks mm. are actually dangerous at that at that close range. Yeah, yeah. So like it's a weird setup. It's, it's still an explosion. You know, there's no projectile, but yeah, you, you hold a, a blank right up to somebody's skin, you can burn them and hurt them pretty badly. My wife was uh, uh, looking at all of their big setup with all their diodes and all of their mm. robots and all of their sets, and she was just like, "Wow, I love that the police department has an Imagineering department." <laughs> Well, there's, there's, oh golly, this is a big problem with Future Cop. First of all, it was made in the 1970s, 
that's that's not something I can help. I'm just sorry, uh, but a lot of the interior that's not in and of itself a, a lot of the interior design is very very 1970s, which is to say brown, boxy, and ugly. And whenever they tried to set up some sort of like high tech super lab where the robot had to lay down, it didn't look too high tech. It looked like a rec room, like it was like yeah. really comfortably carpeted, and all the computers were really far apart and they were all really low, and there weren't a lot of buttons and switches. It didn't feel very high tech. Well, and I mean, maybe. Maybe that was the goal. Maybe they just didn't have a big budget. But if you're going to make me a show about a cop with a robot partner, I want a little bit more robot stuff in there. I want to see them like peel back his face in one scene or mm. see more like robot guts or see him like lift a car over his head. Do something like super powered out of it. Do something that we couldn't and, see. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Everything he does is just sort of really strange character quirk. And indeed, when they get embroiled in a lot of the crimes... Like a lot of shows we've had in the past, My Mother the Car, Herbie the Love Bug, they kind of forget that there's this extraordinary supernatural element to their show. Yeah, it's interesting how eager they are to just treat this like any other cop program. Yeah. That just happens to have this one and I, weird character. I understand that if you're writing a cop program and you probably have in your mind, you know, like 100 stock stories, and you're thinking, oh, I'll just take one of these stock stories and put a robot in there, they're not doing anything to make it robot-themed. They're just using the stock story, and the right. robot just happens to be in it. It's interesting, when they try to actually talk about anything sort of real-world, mm. um, when the cop is talking... Uh, when the commissioner is talking to the scientist, and they're talking about how, listen, you know that whole uh, uh, gunpowder residue thing on the old lady's hands? Like, in like uh, daily life at the police department, uh, it would t- you would actually have to take that to a lab. It would mm-hmm. take a couple of days to come back to you. And only then would you arrest the old lady. And then she flat out fucking says, and you still wouldn't arrest the old lady. Yeah. Like yeah. you would still, you would still, still arrest, arrest the black, the black guy. guy because and, and the commissioner's we, just like, we know you're all racist. And the commissioner's yeah. just like, yeah. Yeah, I guess we are. We're horrible people. <laughs> we're, we're LA cops. What do you want? What do we want? We want intelligence and decency. Yeah. Is that too much? We also learn in this scene, uh, because the cop says, he looks familiar. And this must have been a great line of dialogue for Michael Shannon for Michael to read Shannon, yeah. <laughs> because they say well he's actually a composite of James Arness Paul Newman and a young Lauren Green <laughs> okay a and bit you of know a stretch, what? but okay Michael J. Shannon I, I could kind of see that he's a handsome guy he's a handsome guy he's a good actor actually I like mm. him in this he has a lot of fun with it um, but it's it, there's all these like weird Every episode, there's a whole bunch of weird robot jokes where he takes things literally, mm. or like as we find out, um, he knows nothing about sports, so it's hard for him to interact with like his fellow police officers mm. who are all about sports. So late later in the pilot, he learns all about football from like watching all the Super Bowls. But in this scene, this early scene, someone says there's more than one way to skin a cat, and he says actually there are 37 ways. Why was that important for him to well, know? He's for- not accessing the internet and looking it up. They put that information in there. <laughs> Well, you know what? Clearly, there were some sort of police cases where people were skinning cats, uh-huh. but there aren't a lot of police cases involving sports figures, not a one. Um, look, <laughs> here's what I don't understand, and this is something that you'll find in robot fiction across the board. Somebody makes a robot. They want to make a really realistic human robot, the kind of... Per- perpetuate the the species in that way or whatever for and, whatever reason and they can have you know this computer that it's you know really good at looking at people and perceiving their emotions and see, you know mm. seeing little tiny details with their super robot eyes yeah, interpreting behavior and, yeah and they can interpret behavior and they can interact socially and they can actually form a, a rapport form a dialogue by and actually talk to other people 
why is sarcasm never, ever, ever programmed into a robot? Neither sarcasm nor, honestly, uh, slang. Sarcasm it or, ne- yeah. It never occurs to like them. Ter- that- like expressions or, yeah. or colloquialisms. Those are easy things to program yeah. in. You'll have to input the words into the robot so the robot will understand the meaning of the words. Why don't you put in the alternate definitions of words? It, this is why I liked that, that boxy robot from uh, Chris Nolan's Interstellar. Because- oh, I thought you were going to say you liked Boxy from uh, uh, Battlestar Galactica. Oh, no, God. Bo- box, okay. Boxy can be set on fire. Okay. Uh, no, the, 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 that big square thing. Oh, that, that thing that, was cool. That thing was cool. That's and a great it, robot. And it actually had like a sense of humor unit and that they could like adjust it it's like your sense of humor reduce sense of humor to 30 percent. i think it was one of the which is of course something christopher nolan would write but, but yeah there's a great scene at the end where uh, matthew mcconaughey is like operating on the robot it's like yeah thanks for fixing me i could use it uh-oh uh self-destruct oh no my self-destruct mechanism it's about to go off in 10 9 reduce sense of humor 40 more percent it was really hilarious so they take Haven out into the field. Ernest Borgnine is told he's a robot. His partner is not. Mm. Again, for no reason other than it leads to humor. Mm. They end up tracking down that the, the car thieves again. There's a big car chase. They take them down to a car like impound lot or a junkyard. And they're looking over the junkyard and Haven's like using his robot <laughs> vision. And this is the best scene maybe in the whole series. They pass a car compactor where they like crush it into cubes. Mm. And Haven has never seen such a thing. And, he was, and he's just like, do they do this to humans too? Is this what happens to all of us? Must kill humans! Uh, 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 he seems really outraged for a second like, there. I didn't know you could, like... Why, why would you, you like, make... like snap his finger. Say, snap out of it. Please, yeah. please, please don't go on a killing spree. Rule, rule one. Rule one of robotics. Yeah, it's so weird, because like it's a real moment. It's like he only, all of a sudden realizes he, too, is mortal. This is Skynet coming online. And they just snap out of it and they run mm. after the bad guys and then Haven doesn't know he his gun has blanks in it mm. shoots at the guy doesn't work out he ends up getting shot and Ernest Borgnine thinks his partner is dead and then the scientists show up and it was just like well the robot malfunctioned and Borgnine's like what? <laughs> you bastards! Well then there's a, a really sort of teary scene at the end where it's like well we can fix this robot but we're gonna have to uh, just essentially reboot him we're gonna have to wipe his memory um and Ernest Borgnine says, you know what? Don't do that. And there's this really kind of sad scene where you can see that, like, on a, a monitor, when the robot is, like, under and being operated on, we can see uh, Ernest Borgnine communicates with Haven by uh, talking to him, but then he sees the responses, like, printed out on, like, a little green dot matrix sort of mm-hmm. printer or just monitor. And uh, he, we can see that the word Cleaver, his name, like slowly begins to like, Cleaver, vanish off. Cleaver, 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 yeah, Clay, Cle, Cle, yeah, and then just just dodge like no, no, no. It's like the Daisy Daisy scene, but why it's the, sad. Why is it deleting itself one letter at a time backwards? I don't know. <laughs> it's so weird. It's the way its memory erases, I suppose. But then, you know, Ernest Borgnine says, no, no, I want this kid back. I want calls him back the, the way Calls is. him the kid, and I like this new robot kid. But there's this, there's this weird bit in the middle where he, he knows his partner is a robot now, and his old partner... Mm-hmm. Is A feeling a little betrayed by Ernest Borgnine kind of siding with this young upstart? They, they, the cover story is he's a rookie and mm. Ernest Borgnine is a veteran and so he's going to show the kid the ropes. But he's a little baffled by this. And when the whole, like the initial thing, like, okay, you tested out the robot, robot didn't work, who gives a shit? And they just move on. Uh, they're offered a promotion. 
And Borgnine, turns, right. and Borgnine turns it down because he's not a promotion kind of guy. Mm. He, uh, he likes working the beat. And John Amos was really looking forward to that promotion. He has like a wife and kids. Borgnine like lives at the YMCA or something. <laughs> so like Borg, Amos like turns down the promotion. It's a whole big thing. Uh, Borgnine overhears John Amos talking to his wife on the phone about how he can't like abandon Borgnine even though he knows it's best for the family. Borgnine feels betrayed. He goes to the office of uh, Synthetronics. Synthetronics. And they tell him all about this robot and how we can make you the perfect partner, the kind who will never betray you. He'll even stop talking when you want him to. We can put in a code word. So, uh, which he takes. <laughs> yeah, which is which if you think about it is mildly fucked up. They can't quite decide how human Borgnine thinks the, the robot is. It would make more yeah, sense well, if he thinks, he can't help but think mm. of the robot as human, but every once in a while, he dehumanizes the robot more than anybody, and it's really mm. inconsistent and kind of frustrating. But we'll talk about that. Well, I think that's a way we would interact with robots, though. Like, yeah. we treat them human for as long as is convenient for us, and then we can just shove them in a closet when we don't need them. Mm. And we know they won't get offended because they're robots. All right. Uh, episode two mm. uh, is called Fighting O'Haven. This okay, is this, the undercover again, boxer episode. They waited a year. They put this out. And they rejiggered the cast a little bit. Just a smidge. So the lady doctor who invented uh, mm. the robot. Because there are two doctors. There's a male doctor and a female yeah. doctor. Uh, the lady doctor was originally played uh, by Ronnie Claire Edwards uh, from The Waltons mm. and the movie The Deadpool. Uh, she is replaced in the majority of the series by actress Irene Sue, mm. uh, who is... In Paper Tiger Airport 1975, geeks might know her best as Harry Kim's mom from Star Trek Voyager. <laughs> um, and then in the last episode, after they almost kind of rebooted it, but not really, mm. she's played by a different actress uh, named uh, Cara, Carol Lynn. And, Carol it's the, and I think it's the same. The Night Stalker. I think it's the same character It is not. Time. They have different names. Oh, okay. They do mind. cover that base. But the male uh, scientist in the pilot, mm. uh, his name is Klaus Meyer. Uh, it's played by Herbert Nelson from the Hindenburg and Earth 2, the TV movie. Um, <laughs> not the series we covered. But. No, different thing. He is... He's not replaced. He's given a different character in the second yeah, episode. He, he's recast as the police chief. Or like the captain or well, whatever. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So he went from being the scientist to being the captain, and I was so confused. I was, too. I had to I look was, it up to, to like, really sort of set, set myself straight. What happened? Is he undercover as the so, captain? Why is he... So this is where the series was supposed to start being a series. Officially, and, and yeah. yeah. So they don't have to reestablish the premise. Now we have the premise. A couple cop, of things are slightly cop, changed. At the end of the pilot, mm. uh, John Amos uh, is not his partner. Mm. Actually, he gets a new partner. Um, but here, once again, he is back being Borgnine's partner, and they are both coaching the rookie, but he still doesn't know that Haven is a cop. Mm. Other and, than that, and, and, and won't through the course of the series until he does. Until uh, he just does, away. and they um, forget to tell you that they did yeah. that off camera. <laughs> so, uh, they he, uh, Haven, uh, th this is like Columbo, where we know who did it right away. Um this one, yeah. yeah, there's there's not a lot of mystery throughout this show. We're not going to have big. I guess the the one with the woman on the ledge. There's a little bit of a mystery. That's there, actually a but, fun. That's actually a really well plotted episode. Yeah, we'll talk um, about but that. yeah, there's there's in most of the episodes we know who done it, and it's a matter of the robot using his intuition and Ernest Borgnine using his Borgninity to. <laughs> Uh, his <laughs> Borg of nine. Uh, Ryan, does that bother anyone else? He's in a robot story. Mm. He's Borg, and he's nine. He's nine of nine. Uh, he's, he's related to, to he's Jerry, Bo he's, Jerry Ryan. He's Borg nine. Yeah, I'm surprised. Some no like 
Futurama never did a bit yeah, about Fu- that. Futurama or, yeah. or some some sci-fi comedy writer hasn't come up with Borg Nine yet. But uh, yeah, Ernest Borg Nine is is using his Borg Nine ness in there. It's a matter of watching them figure out what we already know the bad guys are up to. So in this episode, uh, someone is fixing boxing games. Mm-hmm. This happened a lot in TV episodic adventure series. Like right. you've seen this the, episode the of Quantum fix. League. Yeah, yeah. You've seen it on Police Squad. It's a big thing. Uh, a, and, and it plagued the sport for a long time. Oh, I know, it's, it's a st- thing. And it still just, does. You it's know, a thing. It's, it's just also a TV cliche. Yeah. Um, and a guy who refused to throw a match got run over by a car. Haven realizes this was not an accident. You can see that the car like backed up. and mm. um, So they decide to put Haven undercover as fighting patio Haven. <laughs> Which is not offensive at all. Not in uh, the slightest. Well, when, when he's hanging around the boxing uh, training facility, he punches a punching bag through the wall. And they yeah. think, oh, well, he's super strong. Why don't we just have him be a boxer? Where he can murder someone in the ring. And yeah, he, that's a great idea. Well, here's the here's the damnedest irony so like they don't just like make him like an upstart boxer at like the gym to try to attract the attention of anybody they put him in real boxing matches but um, in order to stop these people who are fixing boxing matches they have to fix boxing matches well, it's not even like he's, a, he's not a, a well, I mean, that that's, you know, undercover sting operation. But so you're you still pose, fixing the... People don't know that's a robot. You, you, pose as a, you pose as a boxer to see who approaches you about fixing a match, and it, then you know who's fixing the match. It might have, I might have been okay with it if it was a person and they had a chance of losing, mm-hmm. but he doesn't. He's a robot. There's this bit where and they, they keep go, using slang, you know, take a fall, you know, throw the a, match. And take a dive. Take a dive. They tell him to take a dive, and Haven, oh, Haven's just like, sure, I'll take a dive. And then, like, it's in the third round when he's supposed to take a dive. It's like, take the dive. And he's like, oh, right. And he just mimes a dive, like, off a diving board into a pool. And then he punches the guy and knocks him out. <laughs> I didn't understand what you meant. You, you, the How phrase, do you not know this? The phrase, take a dive, was not in his lexicon. How is nothing in his lexicon? My God. Here, here's something I want to complain about. Uh, about the the cop with robot partner genre, uh, now that I've seen Man and Machine and this. And this is something I complained about with Man and Machine. And I, I have data as sort of my baseline reading here from sure. Star Trek The Next Generation. You have data, and data is frequently paired with Geordi LaForge, the engineer on the Enterprise. Mm-hmm. And he's really interested in machines. He's interested in human behavior. And when data asks him a question, Geordi is willing to sit down and kind of explain things to him. There's a counselor on the ship. There's a doctor on the ship. And they all want to sit down next to the robot and explain human behavior yeah, they care in really cogent terms. Yeah. That kind of makes sense to me. If you're going to have a robot partner, wouldn't you give him, not to the crotchety old cop who doesn't know anything about machines or even can speak cogently about human behavior, wouldn't you give him to the, the cop who's like an engineering nerd or you know a sci-fi fan, somebody who really wants to talk to a robot or a psychologist, somebody who really knows human behavior and can explain this stuff to the robot when it has a question? Well, what's weird is that they clearly want Ernest Borgnine to take care of this uh, robot because mm-hmm. Ernest Borgnine has a lot of experience as a cop. Yeah, but he's but also, he has no experience like communicating the basics of human behavior. You've never lived until you've heard Ernest Borgnine explain the concept of God to a robot, which we <laughs> will get to. But you're right; it, it is super super weird, and that's something that happened to Man and Machine as well. They mm-hmm. just get these like tough macho guys who aren't in touch with their feelings. Yeah, and I'm like, yeah. this is all feelings. They're they're like a child out there. Like they have all this information, but from a maturity perspective, mm-hmm. and from an emotional perspective, and from a you know in terms of personal. Relationship, relationships they're very naive yeah, yeah. Need, it's, it's i understand Ernest Borgnine is going to be like you know tough and you might be able to learn by example but he does need someone you're right to sit him down and say hey hey guy <laughs> how you doing i know it's been a confusing well, and, day 
And, you know, like the robot says something like sexually inappropriate. It doesn't know it's sexually inappropriate. And nobody ever has the gall to sit with a robot and say, you know, sex is something that's very personal to people. It's best to perhaps avoid the topic in these situations. And here's what you can and cannot say in terms of sexuality. And when you hear people joking about sex in a locker room, that's a different environment where things aren't appropriate, but people tend to say different things. Whereas over here, people say these sorts of things. Nobody ever has that conversation with the robot about sex and sexuality. You would think that would be foremost. You would think that would be important. Say Like, what's appropriate to say in front of a five-year-old, for instance? Yeah, there's a scene where, like, a five-year-old asks, like, what's the difference between boys and girls? And the robot's like, well, I'll explain that to you in detail. And Borgline's like, no, 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 no. <laughs> you see, the feminine mystique. Ah! It's really awkward. <laughs> My favorite bit in this episode, in the Fighting O'Haven episode, is this weird aside where they put in a little more effort than they really needed to. Mm. So they find out that the person who's been fixing the matches actually isn't an organized crime syndicate. It's actually the uh, the coach. Yeah. And he's but been we, making we, But we knew that. I don't think we knew it was start. a coach, though, did we? I no, think we knew it was, the, it was in on it. I from the start, we knew the coach okay. was in on it. Yeah. Well, we know, but here, it turns out oh, he was um, the mastermind the whole I'm time. I'm going to look up the, the, the actor who plays the coach, because he's fine. really familiar. So he's been masterminding it the whole mm-hmm. time, and he's making it look like there's more criminality going on, so that mm-hmm. no one would uh, no one would give him any guff. Uh-huh. They figure out it's the coach. The coach, like... It's going to fly away in a small airstrip, uh, which is actually in mm-hmm. Santa Monica, which is like a 15-minute walk from where we live. It's actually, we yeah, see it in a yeah. lot of movies. Um, so they they chase it down. It's like the ending of Charlie mm-hmm. Varick. Like, they're trying yeah. to chase down the, the, the plane in the cop car. They stop this small plane from taking off. <laughs> this, this is great. And then, like, a young man and woman, like, get out of the plane. We've never seen them before. And, and the, the like, woman says, did my husband send you? You people will stop at nothing, won't you? And I'm like, and it turns out they just like interrupted them like eloping. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, I want to know their story. I feel like maybe this was like a weird crossover with some mm. other show. <laughs> like these characters are actually really important in some other plot. Uh, the coach was played by Michael V. Gotso, who you might have recognized from The Godfather Part 2. He played the evil dad in that movie Fingers with Harvey Keitel. Oh, I never saw that movie. Yeah, you'll never amount to anything. It was really fantastic. <laughs> All right, the next episode. Mm. Uh, this is actually a two-parter, and this was aired as a TV movie. Mm. Uh, this episode is called The Mad, Mad Bomber. The, Not- evil, the evil Midnight Bomber, what bombs at midnight? Yeah, the Mad, 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 yeah. Mad, Madam Bomber. Uh, who is played by? Oh, who is played by the great Garrett Graham from Phantom of the Paradise <laughs> Child's Play 2. He's he's a delight in everything. And he's having fun here because this is a mad, mad bomber who's just sort of a silly mad bomber. Well, like, the, one of the earliest plot points is, okay, so there's this whole big scheme. He's a mad bomber. His girlfriend was a political dissident. They had schemed to blow something up for political reasons. He thinks she was apprehended and is being kept in secret somewhere. He doesn't realize she actually died. Mm-hmm. Um, he is being used by an evil security company. Magnate, uh-huh. who is going to team up with a naval officer to steal the Navy payroll. Yeah. But he, so all of his bombs are just a distraction for this big heist, mm. but he thinks it's all for political purposes. Yeah. That's, 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 they, they, that's, they've the, been manipulating him. And he, the way he bomb, he doesn't just bomb, like he doesn't just blow stuff up. He has silly bombs. <laughs> in addition to real bombs. In addition to real bombs. So, like, initially, like, he, like, delivers a package to the police department. And you're like, oh, crap. This is kind of a big blow, deal. Blow blow police police department. Department, and yeah. it turns out it was a stink bomb. A, 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 he was supposed to blow up a fire department. And he decided to just sort of free go freelance on that yeah. one. Just sort of go a little bit rogue. And, yeah, and B, it was a stink bomb. Yeah. 
Which, you know, and of course everybody's like, oh, it stinks, it's terrible, and that's, you know, a threat to the police department. They keep, take it very seriously. But that, that's like a Saturday morning plot. That's like a G.I. Joe plot. It's like, ha I'm going to plant this bomb with the G.I. Joes. Ha-ha, it was just a stink bomb, you fools. There's not much point in taking you through every point of this episode, because A, it's a two-parter, mm. uh, but it, there's enough material for one episode. This episode is padded. Well, uh, every episode's really padded. But this that's one this in particular, is, yeah, you could miss true. 50 minutes of this and still understand everything that's going on, because it's all about... There's a mad bomber out there. Haven's trying to, like, decode his various codes or whatever. Mm. They're evacuating places. And then nothing happens for about 45 minutes as Haven, like, goes undercover at the Navy and learns something the audience knew in, like, the first couple of minutes. Mm. And only then can we continue. The most interesting well, this part is... is the, this is the episode where we learn what happens when he runs out of batteries, right? Uh, or is that the next episode? Oh, is that... I think it's the next episode. Yeah, okay. Um, what's batteries... Mm. There's there's a run out of battery issue here, but like the real <laughs> issue is oh, I think it is because he follows mm. Haven back to Synthetronics and he realizes that cops are making robot cops and he calls it the ultimate fascism and he puts a device in Haven mm. that'll make him blow up when he's going to blow up this bridge yeah in a couple like in a day or so like and it attaches them to the same timer and it's actually making like Haven. Like it's draining his batteries more quickly. Well, it's than draining his batteries, and it's occasionally making him say complete non sequiturs, and mm-hmm. they don't know what to do. Oh, I, I thought that was just a, a matter of like his his power cells were running low, and when well, his like when his power cells run low, he gets like really groggy and woozy and weird, and starts saying weird stuff. There's this thing I noticed that which I, which at least is a robot thing. Yeah, <laughs> notice this is a story about a bomber and a heist, and we spend more time with the bomber and the guys planning the heist than we I think we do with Haven in this episode. But like he says weird stuff though like you'd be like you know okay, okay haven we're gonna go put you undercover at the navy and haven says the only conceivable deployment of nuclear weapons would be e, 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 hmm. e. <laughs> and i'm like that's a bit random are you feeling okay buddy one thing i noticed is that whenever would they you, go would you to like a, to play a game whenever they go to a restaurant which is in every episode likes to eat he's <laughs> a diner haven always <laughs> orders a, my usual pound of chili haven always orders a cup of coffee yeah he never eats anything because he's a robot. He doesn't need to. But I'm like, can he imbibe fluids? Does he need to? Because Surely they say he's, got- he's an android. They say he's not like completely just a robot. So maybe he has parts that need lubricant. He, he says uh, I, that he does consume lubricants. So like there's some sort of oil he needs to drink. And also... Surely he needs something to keep the mechanism going. Like, he doesn't just plug in, right? Well, that's what I thought, too. But in this episode, he's ordering coffee and he never drinks it. Mm. And the waitress starts getting mad at him. Because he doesn't drink the coffee. So I don't think he does need it. I don't know. Be consistent, future cop. Can robots drink coffee? Surely. Surely the the makers of the robot would have thought to put, like, a tube with, like, an alimentary canal through his body so he can at least, like, put food in to make it look, make him look more human. Uh, Even if he's not absorbing anything yeah, just from put it. Just put it in a pouch somewhere yeah, and, and, and can can just remove em- it later. Empty it later. It's like, here, here's that sandwich I ate earlier. It's all, seems, bit, it's all bitten up. Yeah, but I don't have spit. Go ahead. Have seems some. Seems kind of gross if you think about it. You know what? If, if it was... It's like if you got like those wind up chatter teeth. If you bite bit up a sandwich like that and just sort of put it on a plate and served it to someone, you'd, you'd still eat that, right? I know, but you're still removing it from their from their like gallbladder, basically, or like well, some sort is, of. How is that different from removing it from like a microwave oven? 
One of them is inside a, a, a body. One, well, one's inside a human-shaped machine. That's enough. If your microwave slightly, if your microwave were human-shaped, would you still use it? No, <laughs> that'd be weird and creepy. Do you uh, tell me that wouldn't be weird and creepy? I think that'd be really fun if it was super <laughs> realistic and had like actual flesh. Like that would be uh, a weird microwave. <laughs> I suppose so. And if it con- conversed with you as yeah, you cooked, it's trying to learn what it means to be human as you like put spaghettios in it. Like it's not really. You know, there's a lot of sodium in that. Yes, I know. <laughs> I'm gonna put cheese its on it. What do you think of that? The next episode is called "Girl on the Ledge," mm-hmm. and then, again, I'm, as I mentioned before, this one actually has a really cool plot. Um, uh, it's, it's the best written of the episode. Oh, absolutely! So the idea is: there's a young girl. She checks into a hotel. She goes up to the top floor, and she starts standing on the ledge. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it's a matter. And uh, John Amos is the cop called in to talk her down. Uh, yes, and John Amos has also been having trouble like connecting with his like. 20 something daughter mm. so this all connects to him and he's really emotionally invested in on like a really personal level and you know what? that would be a great two two for that's like that's two, two, two person play be that, great. exactly just cop trying to talk a young lady off mm. a ledge boom uh it turns out that her mother hates her and her father has disappeared and she won't get down off the ledge until they find her father okay so borgnine and haven are off to find her father they go to see her mom her mom is working at, a, at like a brothel or like a really, really. It's, kinda, it's, a, it's, a, it's a skeevy bar. A I really think. skeevy nightclub. Yeah. Um, mom, uh, mom reveals that her father is actually in witness protection, so they have to find him in witness protection. They manage to track the guy down. It takes a while, but whatever. This is the basic gist of the plot. Mm. They manage to track the guy down. The guy goes to see his daughter. Turns out that's not his daughter. Oh, she was actually no. hired by the people he was going to testify mm. against to get him out of hiding and it so worked. that they can assassinate yeah. him. That's a relatively <laughs> that's a good, clever plot. That's a cl- good, good twist. There's, good a, twist there's, there. a, there's, a, there's a movie called uh, Man on a Ledge mm. with um, Sam Worthington. Mm. Came out like five years ago or something like that. I didn't, with a, I didn't see it. But with yeah. a not entirely dissimilar premise, but like not so much that it's mm. like eerie. Just like Man on a Ledge, there's more to it than that. And it's actually like a crime being committed sort of deal. Yeah. Um, it's, it's okay. <laughs> it's, it future, let me put it this way. Future Cop did it better. <laughs> that's not something you that's can not, say. That's not something you want somebody to say about your movie. Um, I'm trying to remember if there's anything else particularly noteworthy about this episode. Other no, than just, it's just an, pretty a, good. A nice twist. There's you know an actual like sort of ticking clock element. Uh, it since it takes place over such a short amount of time, mm-hmm. uh, you get you can get really sort of involved in the plot, involved in the rush. There's more intensity to it. It doesn't feel uh, padded again. But again, that's a good cop story. Yeah. That's not a good robot story. Yeah, the robot now, doesn't if, matter. If the robot were the one trying to talk her down off the ledge, and you know, we knew she was a plant, so we knew she wasn't going to jump. Well, so we, if, don't, we don't know that yet. Oh, we, yeah. we didn't know that yet, or maybe we learned that along the way. And so the robot... Even if he says something kind of awkward, she would sort of bring him around. You can write that in such a way where this conversation, the sort of back and forth between the robot and the suicidal person would be like really interesting and maybe even kind of philosophical and also tie into the crime plot. The robot's just running around with Ernest Borgnine in this episode. Not learning anything about humanity whatsoever. He's just investigating like a cop would. It's kind of pointless. It feels like in order to negate this, they added the opening scene to make to remind you that he's a robot and make the robot important. Because mm-hmm. it opens with Borgnine going into Synthetronics to pick up his partner. He goes back to the office every night to get recharged, mm-hmm. you know, fix his databanks, whatever. And 
He requires a daily tune-up. Yeah, and uh, he goes to pick up his robot partner, but his robot partner is broken. Mm. And all the scientists are just like, well, I don't know what we can do. Well, we can flush out his system with electricity. That could fry his circuits. Well, do you have a better idea? And Borgnine says, hey, what if there's, like, a thing that happened before that worked? And they're just like, (laughs) my God, you're right. Good thing Borgnine knows so much about (laughs) robots. And it's, it's, it's can, you, can you imagine Ernest Borgnine playing like the, the engineer or the scientist in some movie? It's hard to really. It's not his type. No, it's just not. Like he, he's the cabbie in Escape from New York. He's not yeah. the Lee Van Cleef role. He's he's just the cabbie. He's the doorman and the single guy. Like I buy him as the friendly doorman. <laughs> I don't quite buy him as a mad scientist. So like whenever he like, and I get that the whole point is like he brings a fresh perspective. Mm. But whatever, it just it just plays like such. Pointless pap. <laughs> it's really great. Uh, the next episode is called The Carlisle Girl. Mm-hmm. In this episode, uh, they stop a robbery at a, at a cosmetics factory. But John Amos walks in on the CEO doing coke. So he arrests well, the CEO. He uh, like puts, pulls a gun on him. He he. I don't think we don't see him like doing lines, but we see him like kind of leaning over and squirreling something away in a floor. And, safe. and we see yeah. it in baggy. It's white powder, and then he like picks a drop off like with his finger and puts mm. it in his mouth. Like people. Have oh, done I, in I guess and I coke. guess I missed that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's clearly coke. Oh. And so they arrest this guy, and then. The, like as they're writing up the report, mm. John Amos comes back and he says, "We're dropping all charges. I didn't see anything." And they're like, "What?" Mm. And they're really confused. And it turns out that John Amos's daughter is working for Carlisle Pharmaceuticals, and they threatened to basically frame her for uh, drug possession and mm. uh, uh, bringing contraband over into the country. So he's feeling totally trapped. And Borgnine says, well, here's what we're going to do. We're going to frame him. Yeah, he, know, he thinks we've got the drop on us, but we know stuff he doesn't. We're going to take this big drug bust right. scam thing, and we're going to get him in jail. And Haven's just like, that is wildly unethical and illegal, mm. and I can't do that. Yeah, and good for him. Um, so, yeah, that thing about being an experienced cop. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he's an experienced cop the way the experienced cop were experienced in LA Confidential yeah. where they're just all like corrupt AF and they're willing to take payments and just beat well, confessions out of people there's that great scene in LA Confidential where James Cromwell goes to Guy Pierce, mm. and Guy Pierce is just like I passed my exam I want to be a, a detective and James Cromwell said well you don't have the stomach to be a detective yeah no no here's what he says he says would you beat a confession out of a, out of a, a suspect and he says no mm. would you plant evidence on a suspect that who you knew to be guilty and he says no then he says don't be a detective then <laughs> that's what it takes and I'm like that is horrifying yeah, well and, and actually sticks to his guns and says you know I don't need to do it the way my dad did it you well, know for a while anyway, for, it's uh, a dark then, movie then, but then, he, then, then of course he gets corrupted but yeah that's yeah. the way that works but like movie. so like this is like the sort of charming corruption where it's okay if we do it for a good reason mm. and they bring haven along and it's supposed to be fun and i'm just like it's actually just kind of fucked up and i realize you're in a tough spot but like i'm not sure this was the way out well the, the way you tell the story is you have the robot point out to him what like this thing that he thinks is just sort of normal police work which is you know unethical and illegal and you use the robot as his conscience yeah saying well how about this alternate course of action which can get this guy but isn't illegal or unethical right we we, we, we can surveil him clearly we know he has these drugs and he's going to use them again here's the thing he it's called future cop Mm -hmm. it's not set in the future but he's the cop of the future that's the whole point he's Mm -hmm. supposed to be the next wave of of police work 
teaching him all the shitty habits of the old generation doesn't work. This would have been the perfect way to sort of put that back and forth. The cops want to use their old school, mm. at per- best questionably legal, but at, <laughs> but more realistically completely illegal techniques mm. in order to get the job done. And Haven presents another way, or at the very least a bridge between the two, mm. in which we have to maybe do things in an unorthodox way, but we have to do it by the book. Mm. That could have worked. Instead, they just basically framed them for the crime they're committing, which is, admittedly, I get you there's a gray area there, but it's still really bad. <laughs> it's, that, that wouldn't hold up in court, is my point. No, it would not. So the best part of this episode, though, and this is the one where they started, you can tell Michael Shannon was probably getting a little bored. Much in the same way Andy Kaufman got bored on Taxi, uh, so they gave his character multiple personality disorders, so Andy Kaufman could do okay. different voices. Um, yeah, uh now, th- there's there's sort of a... Ref- I would love playing a part like this where there's no modulation. Yeah. Uh, l- again, I'll go back to Data. Uh, yeah. Brent-, Brent Spiner was on the same note at the beginning of every scene because he's an android. He doesn't have these mod- big emotions. He doesn't have emotions. Yeah. So uh, occasionally, you know, Brent Spiner's weird. It's like, oh, no, there's a, a holodeck glitch, and all of a sudden you're every character in a Western novel. It's like, okay, I'll, that, that'll be fun. You can play with it. Or now you play your evil twin brother. But as Data, he was always Data. Yeah, and that was some. There's like a, a refreshing consistency to that. So I kind of hate when they say, "Well, you know what? This character is getting the char- actor is clearly getting a little bored with the character. Let's have him watch an old movie and behave like Humphrey Bogart." Yeah, or I think a in this bad case, Bogart impersonation. I think it's more of a, I think it's more of a bad Clark Gable impersonation, mm. which means it's a really bad Clark Gable impersonation <laughs> if you thought it was Bogart. So what happens is Haven. It's like one of the people who is involved in this like criminal conspiracy mm. sees Haven. She, clearly, she's interested, and they decide we can distract her and get into her safe mm. if Haven uh, shows up at her apartment and tries to seduce her. Problem is, he's Haven. Mm. He doesn't know how to do that. So Humphrey Bogart takes him to see a whole bunch of old movies. Ernest Borgnine, you mean? Humphrey Bogart. Ernest Borgnine. <laughs> did they ever work together? It feels like they should have. Anyway. I don't, I don't, I don't think they did. I don't think they did. I, don't I, think, they I did. think their careers missed each other. I think they did. They were working like in the 50s together, I think. Bogart yeah. was, was sadly didn't have much longer. Uh, so he shows him a bunch of Bogart and Clark Gable movies. And then Haven shows up at this at this woman's apartment. And he does all of, says everything he saw in the movie. See? Mm-hmm. And then he's about to take her to the bedroom when Borgnine manages to like hit the abort code and they mm. all leave. But the episode ends in such a weird way with Borgnine and Haven walking along the beach and like it's all voiceover because it's filmed really far away. Mm. And Haven just says, uh, Cleaver, if I had taken that young woman to the bedroom, mm-hmm. what would have happened? And Borgnine is just like, I don't know if I, I showed you enough movies to tell you how that works. Well, can I see movies in which I like, do see what happens? Mm. Borgnine's like, no. <laughs> Why, <laughs> not? Why not? Why yeah, not? See, an open-minded cop would have taken that guy to a porno house. Oh, God. Well, wouldn't it be funny, though? So, like, And here's what sexuality looks like. He shows him a porno, and then Haven shows up at the guy's door. Yeah, I got your pizza. You know, just like <laughs> the most awkward overtures imaginable. Uh, okay, so the last uh, proper episode, the main episode, and then there was one more after this. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's called The Kansas City kid uh and this is the poker episode yeah so what happens is cleaver and and this is the one where michael j shannon gets really bored yes and essentially plays a different role yeah cleaver for for some reason we know listen cleaver is again he's a schmo he's a beat cop apparently he's a pretty good beat cop but he has no other skills to speak of he doesn't know science he doesn't know math he doesn't know not, history not intelligent or sophisticated he so, just has street smarts so he's the treasurer of the police guild <laughs> I thought he was joking. I thought he I was. Thought, 
like the scene is like as the treasurer of the police guild. It's like the, <laughs> that's pretty. Wait, wait, that's the plot. Is the plot you're the treasurer? And he oh, has been girl. for a while. It's not like I've been nominated. And I don't know why. It's like yeah. no, he's been doing this. I guess he's good at it. He gave the money for like this big policeman's charity to an investor to invest. <laughs> oh, which, by the way, I think it was these. He's the worst cop. I think we had the exact same plot in the last precinct. Oh, I which think also, right. which yeah, also yeah. had an undercover sports episode. It's the same episodes <laughs> over and over again. He give, he gives the like placement charity money to an investor. The investor bets it all in a high stakes poker game against special guest star Joan Collins <laughs> from the Persuaders. Yay! She's always fun. She, yeah, yeah. So he lost it all in a high stakes poker game, um, and he says, "Listen, let me. I can get you the money back. I'll get you the money back." So Borgnine says. Mm-hmm. Uh, at at a big meeting, yeah, we have that money. I can get it for you in three days. Not knowing that, literally, as he's saying that, the investor is getting murdered, and Borgnine is now going to be in so much goddamn trouble. If he had told them, we gave it to an investor, the investor lost it. Mm-hmm. It's embarrassing, but it's not my fault. It's that yeah. guy's fault. Well, yeah, it now, is his fault. He gave the uh, charity money to an investor. <laughs> well, I thought they were supposed. No, no, because the, they knew it was invested. Oh, okay. They were like, "Hey, how's that investment going?" And it's like, "Well, we didn't make it. We didn't really make oh, it." They, so they said, "Let's agreed take to that." Right. Yeah. So they they agreed to that, and they said, "Okay, well, let's take it out of that investment, mm-hmm. and we'll you, and we'll spend it." Yeah. And Borgnine's like, "Yeah, we can do that in three days because mm-hmm. no, because we didn't lose that money." But here, at least, he finally takes advantage of the robotiness of his robot partner because yeah. he's like, "Well, we can win that money back." Yeah. So like and, the, in that really embarrassing scene, hey, I got a great idea. Let's win the money back. That's a stupid idea. <laughs> Well, all I have is a quarter. I know. I'll put it in a slot machine and I'll get it all back. Oh, I've yeah. seen movies. Yeah, that's the way slot machines work. So they take him to like they they, they make uh, a Haven read the Cincinnati Kid mm-hmm. and not see the movie for some reason. It's a good movie. I don't know what the hell. So they take him to read the Cincinnati Kid and they make him read a whole bunch of Damon Runyon books. <laughs> and he starts dressing and talking like a character from Guys and Dolls. Yeah, and he's having fun. He's enjoying Michael himself. Michael J. Shannon's having fun. Yeah. Haven's just behaving like a, a complete loon. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he's, he's all seductive and he talks quick. And it's one of those cases where the robot doesn't know when the game is over, like mm-hmm. when to stop behaving that way. So he's just essentially a Damon Runyon character now. Yeah. I know. There's a big match. There's a big poker game against mm-hmm. uh, uh, Joan Collins. Joan Collins is cheating. Mm-hmm. But she's hearing like this guy who's like got like a video camera on and can see everyone's hands. Yeah, he's, she's got a little radio in her yeah. glasses. So she's yeah. hearing him telling, "Okay, now that guy's got a straight. Don't mm-hmm. bet against him, or whatever." But Haven can hear it all too, so it's just a complete standstill. <laughs> and finally, like Haven like takes Borgnine aside and says, "There's someone feeding her stuff," and so he stops that guy, and then it becomes an actual poker match. And of course, Haven wins. Because he's a robot. And yeah. He knows betting and poker better. It's not a bad episode, actually. It's just kind of goofy. Again, I, I don't like the Damon Runyon stuff. Again, like you pointed out, this is just an actor that's bored with the role. But uh, I do like that, you know, let's let's do this unethical thing, but we'll kind of convince the robot to do something robot mm. And maybe in so doing, we'll feel so bad about it that we won't do that again. And we'll learn a lesson. They don't. They just yeah. win the money back and everything's okay. <laughs> Um, and they do catch some bad guys in the meantime. And that was the last episode of Future Cop for a while, and then a for, bit, for a, over a year. And a year later, they brought they brought it back as a TV movie called Cops and Robin. Mm. Cops and Robin refers to they're the cops, and mm. in the course of the story, they have to protect a like a, a little girl who's like it's, eight it's or an, something. She's or, five, and she's okay. an, an informant's daughter. Right, but here's the thing, and here's mm. the idea that this was repiloted is a word you'll see in a couple of reviews and Wikipedia. 
I'd really like to know the real story behind this because I'm not sure I buy it. On one hand, they did recast a character. Mm. On the other hand, this is not the premise for the show. This isn't no, the cops and, it, and the little girl are gonna like the little girl has a mom. Like she's not she's gone after the pilot. Mm. There's no cops in Robin. She's not gonna come back. It's not his, it's, it's not Borgnine's niece who's living with him. It's, it's, it's Ernest Borgnine and it's Haven who now have to protect this little girl. Because there's this woman who's she's an informant, mobs after her. They have to look after the little girl. Yeah, if that were the premise of the show, like a cop and a robot are like the two dads to this little girl if it were like a sitcom. That's putting a hat that, on a hat. That, that's, that's a yeah, weird show. It's a weird show. <laughs> I, I could see that sitcom being pitched. I, I would know. love to watch that show. We would recover the hell out of that show on this, but, on this podcast. Yeah, the, the, there's this robot dad in this that is hardly ever acknowledged makes this TV movie really, really odd. Because I, it should it, it is Future Cop. It's the same characters. Yeah. John Amos now knows that Haven's a robot all of a sudden in this episode. Uh yeah, and he's and John Amos has also been promoted to sergeant, so now he's mm. Borgnine's boss. So some time has passed. Yeah, a little time has passed. Uh, um, John Amos no like during that span figured out that Haven is a robot and is okay with it. Yeah. Well I mean it's it's a the department mm. made that call. Like it's yeah. not like He's going to blow the whistle on. Well, yeah, that's, yeah. That, so, that's an official play. So he just knows, but I would love to have seen that scene. It's weird that it's not there. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, this really does feel like we had a leftover double part future cop episode, oh. and we needed a TV movie, and everyone's available. Let's just shoot these this episode. Mm. We'll make a few minor changes because uh, the actress who was playing uh, the doctor, Irene Sue, is gone. Can't get yeah. Irene Sue, so we'll get um, um, what's her name. Oh God. Uh, we'll get uh, Carol Linney from The Night Stalker and Beware the Blob, also from The Poseidon Adventure. Um, we'll get her in yeah. to play the character. Uh, the main plot of this is twofold. There's the crime plot, which is Terry Kaiser is the bad guy. You know Terry Kaiser from like... <laughs> Weekend at Bernie's. Weekend at Bernie's. He was Bernie. Uh-huh. He was the corpse in Weekend at Bernie's. That's his most famous role. But if you watch enough like action TV shows in the 80s, he usually pops up somewhere as a bad guy. Yeah, he, and he's, he's a good bad guy. He's, he's, a, bad guy. he's actually a very prolific actor. It's it's kind of a pity that his most famous role is a corpse. But it's yeah. a good role, <laughs> at least to people our age. Older, a, older people might know. Brought a lot of stuff, joy yeah. to a lot of people. Um, but yeah, he's he's on the hunt for this woman who saw him kill a guy, um, and boom, that's it. Mm. They had to protect the little girl from Terry Kaiser's bad guys. The other plot going on is they finally got to the man and machine aspect of it, where not only is Borgnine supposed to like teach haven the ropes now the doctors are like and we think he can become more human so we're gonna make him your roommate he has to live with you no previously uh cleaver lived like in like you said at the y earlier like he lives in some dingy spot we saw his apartment once and it was like a closet it was super tiny now Now he's got like a real apartment a real like one bedroom apartment and uh yeah it's of course just as filthy and gross as you'd think and haven cleans it up right away says, wow, yep. there's stench coming. It's coming from this sink. Yeah, I'll get to those. They've been there for six years. I like um, a healthy musk. Yeah. <laughs> That's not a healthy musk. That is what you call an unhealthy musk. Yeah, so Haven basically becomes the odd couple if uh, Jack Lemon was a robot and Walter Matha was completely taking advantage of him. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, more or less. <laughs> 
I'm going to clean your house. Okay. <laughs> yeah. What are, you, what are you supposed to do at night? Just plug me into a wall and stick me in the closet. Okay. Okay. <laughs> it's a good thing I have this robot butler now. Oh, wait. And now we have to look, look after our little girl. It's weird, actually, because that's actually a plot point. Well, not a plot point. It's a thing on future uh, Futurama. Mm. When they when Fry and Bender are sharing an apartment, Bender just sleeps in the closet. He's a robot. He has, he has like a phone booth-sized apartment. Yeah. And, yeah, Fry's supposed to live in there, and he can't sleep because he has to sleep standing up next to a robot. But it turns the out... The irony is a robot's closet is this enormous three-bedroom thing. <laughs> um, so that that will be uh, uh, quite familiar to you. Um, let's see here. So they end up... Um, they end up taking care of this little girl. Mm-hmm. They take her out to the poshest mansion on the Malibu beach that, yeah, that the police can afford. Their big hideout, and they end up... Uh, uh, reading the little girl bedtime stories, and Cleaver doesn't understand. Uh, Haven doesn't understand the stories, and Cleaver mm. gets really pissed at him um, in front of the little girl. Like yeah. they snipe at each other. It's really awkward. Like and these are the worst two dads ever. Now there's these two dads looking after this little girl, and you can squint and see this as a, a pro gay marriage essay, or at least some sort of comment. Yeah, like, on a, like un- unconventional household. Well, I was watching parenting. this pilot with Michelle, and she was she had a great take on this whole series, which is mm. basically. Here's this outsider coming into the police department. They're not responding to all of the sports and machismo Mm. and sexist humor of the police officers. They're actually just really, really good at their job. Uh And they're kind of being shit on by everyone else for it. And she was just like, this is a coded story about women in the workforce, isn't it? I'm like, kind (laughs) of, yeah. But the woman is a man. But you can look at it as a women in the workforce or as uh, gays in the workforce. It was the Mm. idea of, you know, it's this time period in which things were getting less racist and less <laughs> they still were but yeah. less so and the, the, the racism was at least starting to contract and there was a, and there were a lot of stories being told about that mm. and this was well, sort of like you, a sci-fi you, version what of do you that. think all mismatched partner where there's one white cop and there's one black cop that's yeah. the story of well, all of those look yeah. at red heat it's about an american cop and a russian cop mm. and it's all about them yeah. trying to learn to get along that's yeah, yeah 48 hours we're gonna say it, it's about basically hey listen if we have differences but if we're shoved into a car together mm. and we're told to do a job together we're we both kind of want to do the right thing for the right reasons. Mm. We'll realize that we're not that different after all. It's everybody cops are, and that's fine. But it, when you, the whole future cop thing really does play like a really specific code. Yeah. yeah. Um, and in this one, uh, Haven is portrayed as the conventionally feminine one in the relationship. He's been taught to cook. Mm-hmm. There's a really funny bit where he goes to uh, a restaurant. Uh, not a restaurant, uh, a, a grocery, grocery store, store, yeah. And like he just picks up a whole bunch of spices. And he picks and up he, a jar of margarine, he, margarum, and he looks at his like. Stale margarine. And he puts it back on the shelf, disgusted. It's like the most emotion he shows beyond that car crusher scene. It's like, I, he, he cannot abide two things car crushers and stale margarine. <laughs> but uh, he also, there's also a bit where the little girl says her prayers before bed. Now I lay me down to sleep, pray the Lord my soul to keep. I'll probably die. Mm. Like, I've never understood that. always seemed like a really dark prayer, but anyway. Uh, and then afterwards, mm. he asks Borgnine. What is God? Who, who is God? Yeah, and Borgnine's just like, boy, does Borgnine look lost at that moment? It's like, ah, oh, you don't ask easy questions, do you, kid? Like, why would you ask of all people, Borgnine? Yeah, Ernest Borgnine. I wouldn't ask Ernest Borgnine, the <laughs> actor, about like, God. It, it, <laughs> even if Ernest Borgnine was dressed as a priest, I would not ask him. But uh, yeah, he doesn't seem like the kind of guy who really did all the learning. It's like, who's got? I don't know. Um, <laughs> So Ernest Borgnine says it in sort of the, as flummoxed a way as he possibly can. God is the creator of all of us. And Haven's like, well, maybe I should pray to God. And he's like, I don't know, maybe you should. Could, this can't backfire. He's like, well, it's like, good, good night. It's, it's, it's like a... Um, 
in the rebooted Battlestar Galactica, mm. when one of the things we find out about all the robots who went off and started their own society and then came back to Earth mm. is that they had actually developed their own religion and become religious extremists. Mm. And you just sort of just like, maybe religion is... In the hands of robots. Uh, well, in the hands of humans, a lot of the time. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> let's, let's be fair. But, uh, <laughs> it's just the oh, sort okay. of thing where it's like you put it in a sci-fi context, it's like... Mm. Um, and then we enter... Well, you know, I think that's fine. I think there's a, a bigger conversation to be had there. Yes. I wish they had written it a little bit more in a more sophisticated way. The idea of a robot learning about the idea of God... First of and, all, that, that wasn't programmed into the robot. Yeah. The, the, the notion of all these different philosophies of different religions are not put into the robot. The idea of a robot learning about the idea of faith mm. and religion and God mm. and something larger than what we can see, there's a lot to that. You can explore the shit out of that. That's mm. a real story. That's a real movie. I'm sure it's been done. Yeah. I would love to see or read it. Mm. Cool. They just sort of gloss over it. Yeah. Because we have to get to what I think is the real reason Cops and Robin was made. Uh, because they had uh, uh, an all-day access free pass for uh, the whole whole crew. All the cast and all the crew. They got to go to Knott's Berry Farm for, yeah. for one day. I'm not sure how famous Knott's Berry Farm is outside. Like in Los mm. Angeles, it's like the other Disneyland and Magic Mountain. It's like it's, the third it's, biggest amusement park. Yeah, yeah. There's you, you go to, as a little kid, you go to Disneyland. As an adolescent, you go to Magic Mountain uh, or Raging Waters if you like water slides. Uh, <sighs> then there's the like second tier. There's Wild Rivers. Do you remember Wild Rivers? Vaguely. It was the not quite as good as Raging Waters water slide park. Yeah, it wasn't. It's was closer though, so you went and it was cheaper. And then there was Knott's Berry Farm, which, which is, is older. Which is actually quite respectable. Yeah, as and, and, and they, go. they had a, uh, an old Wild West show. Mm-hmm. Boysenberries come out of Knott, Knott's Berry Farm was actually a berry farm. Yep. Uh, um, Rudolph Boysen, my wife looked it up, oh, okay. uh, pioneered the, the blending of the berries to make boysenberries. Interesting. Uh, so, but Knott's Berry Farm is probably most famous today for they really go all out for their Halloween haunts. Yeah, that's yeah. their biggest, which is uh, a more recent development. But yeah, yeah, in the last couple of decades. Um, but yeah, it was, it's a respectable, long time institution in Southern California, Knott's mm. Berry Farm. Uh, and so they go to Knott's Berry Farm, and we've seen a lot of shows in which one or more episodes took place at a major location. Mm. Uh, okay, oh, here's the Universal you, Studios episode of Whiz Kids, or, and or, or even yeah, in in a theme park, or here's the Raging Waters episode of Whiz Kids. <laughs> <laughs> it's a thing. Uh, here they don't just go to Knott's Berry Farm. They, they ride every single well, ride. They have to go there because the mob has figured out where the mom is, and now they've also figured out where they are. So they have to hide out somewhere. Yeah. The mob guys are chasing them. The car chase is one of the most boring since the movie Mitchell, where <laughs> they're just merging through traffic, and they're both like the most boring, ugly, 70s brown boat cars that you've ever seen. So you can't tell the difference between the two cars. <laughs> Just two boring boats are chasing each other down the Pacific Coast Highway, and then all of a sudden they're at Knott's Berry Farm, which is not on the Pacific Coast Highway, but oh, whatever. <laughs> and yeah, it's like, where are we going to hide out for a couple hours? He's in a phone booth, and he turns with, around, with and there's this, with a I kid, guess, and then, yeah. then there's a big sign, come to Knott's Berry Farm. I got the perfect idea. And then they spend the next three and a half minutes of film <laughs> just walking around I, Knott's Berry Farm. I, 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 I read on Twitter that they spent about 800 hours at Knott's Berry Farm. That's mm. what it feels like. That's obviously a, co- a comedic exaggeration. Three and a half minutes is lowballing it because there's a huge montage which they go on the rides and then there's like superimposed images of all of them like looking at the rides like, wow, look at all these rides. And then there's a short scene where people talk about, oh, they're, they're, they're closing in on Borgenine, the little girl. Mm. And then we cut... Back to Knott's Berry Farm, where they go on more rides. They, they go on the corkscrew, 
which was the big one that went upside down. And and then they went on the parachute ride, which you know, hoists you up and then drops you, and you're actually caught with a real parachute. They don't go on Montezuma's Revenge, which was the, the, the signature ride at Knott's Berry Farm. But the... they did go on that bicycle How motorcycle. I was going to ask you about that. It looks yeah. so unsafe. It, oh, it was incredibly unsafe. <laughs> it's which, it's so this weird roller coaster where you're just like on a bicycle. There's, yeah, there's no, no restraints. There's no strap. You get on a, a, a yeah, it's like a bicycle shaped car. You hang on to the handlebars and Allah looks after you. That is. <laughs> what, the, there's this old, old Berber proverb trust in Allah, but keep one foot in the stirrup. Uh, <laughs> That's that's the way this bicycle ride works. So, it looks um, really dangerous. It's really dangerous. They actually repurposed that as the wacky soapbox racers, which I rode as a kid. That's fine. When it was after it was repurposed and was equally dangerous. It was like the most. <laughs> it, there's one one guiding rail, and you just sort of whipped back and forth, and it snapped your head off if you hit a corner too hard. Yeah, it was like a super dangerous ride, and they ended up closing it because it was too dangerous. The recurring gag on all of these rides is that Borg and the little girl are going. Ah! And Haven is just sort of sitting there bored. Yeah. Because he does it's nothing like, I don't for him. Understand. And, and then he goes on a, a big roller coaster and it, it scrambles his brain. Yeah. He gets so dizzy that it makes that it makes him like kind of wobbly and weird. Mm-hmm. And then for no good reason that I can discern, it magnetizes him. Yeah. So like there's this so he bit. he sticks to the wall inside the, the sky lift. Yeah. So like he's so he's like stuck to this like thing on a ride. And then the bad guys come in and grab the girl. And Haven can't get the girl because he's just been pulled up into the sky. <laughs> by a ride, which in and of itself is a neat little stunt, mm-hmm. but in actuality, like, it's like just M- Michael J. Shan- Michael J. Shannon was just like, like it was a real stunt that he did. They just yeah. attached him to the outside of this thing. Maybe dangerous, probably not. <laughs> oh, probably a little dangerous. A little, like, a little you know, dangerous. dangerous any stunt's a little dangerous. And then a stunt. Ernest Borgnine's plan is like, okay, he's out on this ride, and here's this other ride that kind of gets close to it. Hoist me up so I can. Well, I don't know. Uh, what do I do? I, I'll just be at the same eye level as him, but I have no plan on getting him down. There's and then he demagnetizes and falls and gets broken. Anyway, the girl gets kidnapped. They go into this weird warehouse and rescue the girl. They go into a spice warehouse. Yeah. And they know it's a spice warehouse because Haven could smell the spices on the bad guy's coat. He got close enough. Yes. Mm, like, all six and spices are which, here. Which is, uh, which is a payoff to all of his gourmet cooking and that marjoram scene earlier. So it was all set up. Brilliant writing! <laughs> Kind of. <laughs> Although one of the thugs says something truly disgusting. Yeah. They're hiding out in this spice warehouse, which looks like it's abandoned. Like maybe spices go through there at some point. But one guy says, yeah, the reason I kept this open was because like, maybe there's like one of my chicks came by. It's like, really? You have this. You're a disgusting 70s man in a disgusting 70s coat. And you keep a sex den in an abandoned spice warehouse. Oh, stop my beating loins! Like, this is the, the, the most... Like, like, I was so disgusted by this this man with the spice warehouse as a sex den. One last... I'm sorry. No, it's <laughs> it's just so gross. They they get there in time. They, yeah. Terry Kaiser goes to jail, blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. I have one last thing. There's only one more comment I have to say about Future Cop. One little detail I uh, appreciate. And it's in almost every episode. Mm-hmm. Every time they're anywhere... Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter if they're like anytime a, they're anywhere, like in, in a court. Um, I'm, it's a build up. Anytime yeah. if they're in a courthouse, uh-huh. if they're in that like security guard building, if they're uh, uh, in synthetronics, doesn't matter. Mm. They always have their visitors' badges clearly around their necks. They, well, they, a, can't, they can't just walk into anywhere willy nilly. I mean, goodness sake! It's this weird detail that like <laughs> I was just like they really like. 
were really serious about this. Like, this was the pet peeve of the costume designer. <laughs> I hate it when they like, don't have visitors' badges. There was like one writer who noticed that in every show they watch. When I write a show, man, they're going to have a visitor's badge in every single scene. <laughs> like watching medical shows with my mom who trained as a nurse you know like when they she always complained in doctor shows when they pulled off their rubber gloves they was like snapped them off and she's like yeah and just spray blood all over the walls why don't you or they fold them up and put them in their pockets like no you dispose of those gloves before you walk out into the hallway of a real hospital if future cop had done 100 episodes as it was clearly oh, supposed geez, to do, yeah uh where would it have gone uh, well, I think they actually would have found focus maybe and done more robot stuff because mm. you, you could see near the end there where uh, Michael J. Shannon was trying to do more robot things and they were trying to take advantage of the fact that he could be other characters. There probably would have been a lot more undercover plots about him pretending to be someone. Um, you know, there would have been an episode where they're struck by lightning and they switch bodies or something completely stupid. Oh, yeah, that'd be a good one. I'd yeah. like to see that. Ernest <laughs> Borgnine stuck in a robot body. Yeah. 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 Well, all of a sudden, he has this robot body, and I would love to have seen Michael J. Shannon act as Ernest Borgnine. <laughs> and vice versa. Yeah. That would have been a real treat. Yeah, give me more coffee and more pinball, and he would have turned into this big fat blob at the end. <laughs> Another Futurama thing where human or Bender gets turned into a human and he realizes, wait a minute, I can like taste and have human sensations now. And he just goes way off the deep end, goes completely immoderate. It's like eating four hot dogs at once and like within a week gains 400 pounds. Yeah, Yeah. that's good stuff. Mm. Uh, There would, of course, be an episode in which Haven, uh, which they made a female robot. Uh, well, another would, robot. Well, I think yeah. make a female robot because you want to have sort of like a, a, a sort of push and pull. Mm-hmm. You know, someone who's actually like, Haven's gone so human, they have like an, have to start from scratch with another robot. And this mm. robot is female, and Haven is now starting to feel feelings with this other robot. It's, you tell me that's not going to happen. That's gonna, I, I guess so. That's a thing. Uh, or, or a precinct across town, like, also has a robot now, and now Haven has a rival, and they kind of resent each other. A tale and, of two and this, Havens. And this new Haven. Oh, yeah, and they both, they're both played by Michael J. Shannon. But go. the new Haven is like even better. He's like an updated model so now he has to deal with the the facts that he's he might be obsolete someday so his death comes into his brain yep if it goes on long enough they meet the These whiz are- kids and the whiz kids reprogram haven uh, which means that, that would mean that uh future cop whiz kids and simon and simon all exist in the same universe well, why wouldn't they i can't think of a logical reason why not <laughs> I, I, it's difficult for me to think of what they would do because they were out of ideas so quick on this show. It's really weird because it's so frustrating when you have like – because say what you about Man and Machine, mm. which again was basically the same show but it was done in the 90s and, and it, it was – it, Well, it took place in the future. That's my point. Yeah. It, they took place – they had this like curve. The premise of the show was we're going to say with how crimes would be futuristic in the future. Like, what's mm. a what's a crime that would be committed in the future? We'll talk about like someone who's killing people using internet dating services. Mm. Well, that's a thing. Like, that's actual like stalking people over like the internet. It's a real thing. Mm. They thought that out. Here, it's every cop show. It's just every, and, but with a robot. But, like, you got to do something s- slow moving. You're not sure how funny it's supposed to be. Like Ernest Borgnine's comedic actor. He's clearly trying to do something kind of broad and funny. But yeah, it's not. It it doesn't have any energy. It's just laying there flat. The stories move super duper slow. Mm. We know the conclusion in most of them. So we're just sort of and it's not like in Columbo where Columbo's like such an interesting weird guy that we want to see him figure it out. You know, Ernest Borgnine and Haven aren't as interesting as Columbo together. They're not as interesting as Columbo. No, I do know how I want the series to end though. Like if they had gone to a proper conclusion. I want the last that's not to be the last episode because it might be depressing, but like the last scene mm. or last couple of scenes is in the future, proper future, like fifty years in the future. Mm. Humans are dead. <laughs> Just they killed themselves. Gone, okay. There was a nuclear war or something. But 
with Haven as the prototype, mm. there are robots. There are robots everywhere. But Haven is the oldest robot, and Haven is therefore the most human robot. Okay. Haven and, is and actually he becomes the ruler of the world. No, he doesn't become the ruler of the world. He actually becomes uh, kind of a sad figure. He's mm. kind of an outsider. Oh. And what he decides, every other because like future generations, they're they're not like as Haveny as Haven was, <laughs> but they're are they, not. Are as, they all Michael J. Shannon? They could all be Michael J. Right. Shannon. That'd be kind of fun. But like you know, the whole point is that you know they're just sort of not. They don't care about human culture. They don't care about humanity at all. Mm. So it's basically Haven is the last vestige of humanity, even though he's not human. Mm. And he finally. So it's the last the last scene of AI. In a little words. bit. Yeah. He gets so lonely. That he has them make another robot for him mm. that looks like Ernest Borgnine. Oh, isn't that sweet? And Ernest Borgnine becomes the Haven to Haven's Borgnine. That's totally the last scene of AI. You, you want Future Cop to be AI. A little bit. <laughs> <laughs> well, why not? I'm sure, uh, uh, sure, I'm sure not? Kubrick watched it. <laughs> why not? Yeah, I'm sure Kubrick was sitting around in his mansion in England thumbing, thumbing through American TV thinking, hey, wow, this would be I, a great idea. I have it on good authority that Ingmar Bergman's favorite film was The Blues Brothers. I'm sure he's watched stuff. I'm just sure. Uh, yeah, I, I, I would think he's like thumbing through you know a history of Napoleon or you know reading art books <laughs> rather than watching Future <laughs> Cop. some on dessert. <laughs> like, come on. He can't be all Kubrick all the time. I know, I know. He's got to have some fun. <laughs> so it turns out uh, Alfred Hitchcock was a big fan of Benji. Who knew? <laughs> I love that little dog. <laughs> was Future Cop canceled too soon? Oh, goodness, no. <laughs> this was not the I, I don't need more Future Cop in my life. I, I like the idea of pairing a crotchety old Ernest Borgnine with a robot, but they, they just didn't, they whiffed it. They didn't do it quite right. It, it's not funny enough to be a good comedy. Uh, it could have been. It's a, set, it's, a, it's a good setup, and it's not like futuristic enough to be a good sci-fi mm-hmm. show. So just this kind of lame cop show with, I will say this, mm-hmm. Borgnine is just being Borgnine. He, and I love Ernest Borgnine. He, he's we, to, total we, professional. We, we poke a little bit of fun, anything, we poke yeah. a little bit of fun at his persona, but Borgnine is a great actor. He's been great in so many things. Everyone mm-hmm. loves Ernest Borgnine. Michael J. Shannon kind of disappeared. He works consistently. He's mm-hmm. in a lot, but all He's still working, yeah. All in little tiny roles. He was good. He's good. He actually probably deserved a bigger break than this. Mm-hmm. And it's a shame. Because he's he's an attractive leading man. He's got a good sense of humor. Mm-hmm. And he shows he, play, he in the plays sh- the deadpan robot role well. And he takes he, it seriously. And he shows here a bit of a bit of versatility, at least comedically. Mm-hmm. Um and honestly a little bit of drama, a little bit of pathos. Like he's really, really good, and I want to give him a, his proper due. Michael J. Shannon deserved a better career. Here, here. <laughs> Damn right. Future Cop did not deserve more episodes, but Michael Shannon, Michael J. Shannon did love mm. something. T- something. Anyway, and and anyway. I think he's overdue for a comeback. I think we should pair him with Michael Shannon. <laughs> Michael J. Shannon he, he with Michael play, Shannon. I think Michael J. Shannon should play Michael Shannon's father in a movie. Uh, it could only be fitting. <laughs> right? See, Michael J. Shannon was born in uh, 43, so he's in yeah. his 70s. Yeah, yeah. And I think he's, he's still alive. Yep. Yeah. Um, so, anyway, Michael J. Shannon, kudos to you. Mm-hmm. Um, the rest of the show, just okay. I like John Amos in it uh, uh, quite a bit. Um, I particularly like uh, his performance in Girl on the Ledge. I think mm-hmm. he's really genuine. He's another really, really good actor who, he works a lot, mm-hmm. but I, I don't, I just feel like he never quite had his due. He deserved a oh. big, big, big role. That's where I recognized him. I was just looking him up to see oh. how old he was. Michael J. Shannon, and Michael yeah. J. Shannon played JFK in that one episode of Red Dwarf, ah. where they go back in time. There you go. Yeah. There you go. 
So yeah, that's that's it. That's the first show we're doing on Cops with Robot Partners Month. Mm. Uh, next week we're gonna do a show that I don't think most people have heard of. <laughs> we're gonna do but a, we have we're gonna do a failed pilot mm. for a television series called Condor, starring Ray Wise from Twin Peaks and RoboCop as a cop who gets a robot partner <laughs> on Cops with Robot Partners Month. <laughs> Tune in next week as we see another show for a cop as a robot partner. This time the cop is Ray Wise. That's that's all we got. I know this one takes place in the future. Okay, I, I've seen it. I've seen like a commercial for it. I haven't actually sat down and watched it yet. It looks like a lot of fun. And any excuse to give Ray Wise like a major role in something, I'm mm. all in because he's a really cool actor. <laughs> uh, so that'll be uh, next week. That's a cop show from 1985. Mm. We're going to be talking about that one. Uh, do we have time for a couple of letters? We do. Let me call these up here. Okay. If you want to email us, uh, our email is canceled too soon at gmail.com. Always remember, canceled has only one L. Mm. Because when we looked up the how to spell canceled, that's what came up. <laughs> it's the proper American spelling. Uh, but uh, you can email us. You have questions. Uh, mm. Do you remember watching the shows when they came out? Do you want to share your memories? Do you want to correct us? Do you know an anecdote that we don't know? Mm. Uh, do you have suggestions for other shows that lasted only one season or less for us to review? Email us. We try to answer all that we can. Mm. Uh, so who have we got? Uh, here's a letter from Cecil. Cecil writes in a lot. Okay. Hello, Cecil. Hi. Uh, hey, guys. Uh, this is about Bewitched. Uh, the TV series, not mm. the movie. I used to watch Bewitched a lot, when I, and I was wondering if it holds up today. The main character wants to give up her unlimited power to be a housewife, but at the same time, most of her family hates Darren because of it. Uh, I think while the premise is dated, Samantha's mother, uh, father, and cousin make sure you see different ways uh, Samantha and other female characters are strong. And the main lesson I took from the show is that you should you should do what makes you happy, whether that is getting married or being a hippie or whatever Santa's mom was doing. Uh, <laughs> This might uh, not be what they were going for, but uh, uh, it's not the point, but the point is what the message uh, is taken, if it can be adapted, and then it holds up. Also, the 2005 movie was awful, which is a shame because it did have... uh, did have some greatness and showed Samantha after Darren is dead, adapting and cha- to a changing world with cameos with some of her relatives. I didn't see the um, movie, and I didn't actually watch that much Bewitched, and when mm-hmm. I did it was a long time ago, but I have been watching a lot of sitcoms from that era. Uh-huh. Uh, we watched My Mother the Car earlier this year. I've been watching uh, with my wife. We've been watching uh, like mm-hmm. I Love Lucy. We've been watching a lot of The Addams Family, the old uh, TV series. Nice. And it's interesting to see like how a lot of those shows were kind of inchy squinching towards being progressive, or at least as progressive as they could. Mm-hmm. But every time they took a step forward, they ended up having to take a step, two steps back. Yeah, or, um, or they called so much attention to it that it was like like court trip of Mr. Eddie's father or something. Yeah, like, it became kind of broad. Yeah, and like and so Bewitched is another one where I feel like you do have a, Samantha's a great character. Mm-hmm. Um, she's she's incredibly just um, what's what's the word I want to look for? She's so much agency. Yeah, I appreciate it. But there is oh. that irony that she wants to use it to be. A housewife. And, well, and here's the argument there. Uh, f- feminism is not about rejecting that mold. It's about choice. And if you choose to do that, that's still feminism. Yeah. It's only when you know you see characters on shows choosing that time and time and time again that it becomes a problem. As, as if there were no other options, yeah. if they have no other interests. Mm-hmm. And Samantha does yes. have other interests. Uh, well, it's, and it's like Lucy. You know, she, mm. She's a housewife, but we love Lucy. Yeah. I love Lucy. Because, uh, because of her agency and because she well, always has ideas and schemes and she's always trying well, something. It's interesting because I Love Lucy, she's actually constantly striving against a very systematic form of oppression. She mm. is a housewife. She actually wants to be in show business and Ricky mm. keeps kind of pushing her down and she keeps sabotaging 
sabotaging Ricky uh-huh. uh, in order to sort of... There's a kind of it, dark revenge going on at all is, times in I Love Lucy. It is. It's actually really, really interesting. When it, and when it works, it works really, really, really well. But yeah, it's not there yet. Mm. And you can look at anything from you know, Bewitched to I Dream of Genie, and it's like, uh, or even uh, The Addams Family, in which Morticia is actually in many ways the smartest and most capable person, and yet mm. at the same time, there's a whole bunch of episodes in which she's going to like get a successful job, and Gomez tries to like sabotage her well, so I, that she won't leave him. What I love about the Adams family, though, is that their values are inverted to regular human values. Like they, they crave death and chaos. And so when somebody in the Adams family does something kind of normal, the audience sees that as kind of a tragedy. Yeah. Not, not that they've succeeded, not that they've infiltrated. No, no, stay on the outside. You're best out here. But I think the Adams family is the best example because yeah. it's so close to being mm-hmm. the sort of outsider story that every time it gets really conventional yeah. in the plot of an episode, it's 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 a tragedy. It's a tragedy, oh. and it's a missed opportunity. And which is actually, as much as I love the original Adams Family series, it's mm. a fun show, um, and everyone's really good in it. John Aston is great. Mm. Um, oh, who played Morticia? Oh, who played oh, Morticia? Uh, She's oh. wonderful. Uh, I'm gonna look it up. I, I forgot. Oh, golly. I'm, I'm gonna look it up. She's yeah, fantastic. I, I've always yeah. loved her. Um, but uh, I actually think that the Barry Sonnenfeld movies capture the Adams Family a, a little a, bit better yeah, in a for much sure. more consistent. Mm effective, uh, uh, heroic kind of way. Carolyn Jones. Carolyn Jones. She's great. Mm. Alright, um, so, uh, yeah, again, I haven't watched Bewitched a lot lately, but when you're mm. watching old TV, there's a lot to enjoy, and there's a lot to remember to keep in context, and I think yeah, it's, it's good yeah. that you're doing that. Um, Adam's Family, way better than The Munsters. I'm gonna in general, say yes. that categorically. I like The Munsters fine, but yeah, I would the say mu- The Adam's Family has more personality. The Munsters exceeds The Adam's Family in one important regard, and that is its theme song. Because uh, The Munsters has one of the best theme songs so of all time. So does The Adam's Family. The Adam's Family is fun. I like The Adam's Family theme song. The Munsters has that great surf guitar. Yeah. Yeah, you could dance well, to that. The, the irony is, like, they're kind of the same show, but the exact opposite. The idea is, <laughs> but because well, no, because like the monsters, the idea is they look so different, but they're completely conventional. Yeah, yeah. And the Adams family is they look kind of like us, but they're completely unconventional. Mm. And those are both kind of flip sides of the same coin. Yeah. yeah so yeah. They, they're they're a perfect double feature with each other. Mm. Yeah. What do we got? Uh, this one comes from Jess. Uh, we were in our poor devil episode trying to recast like a modern. Uh, version of Poor Devil. Oh, yeah. Where uh, in, in Poor Devil, Christopher Lee played the devil and Sammy Davis Jr. played the demon. Yeah, who was trying um, to buy yeah. uh, uh, Jack Klugman's yeah. soul and get revenge on Adam West. Right. Fun, um, fun pilot, actually. Fun pilot. Fun pilot uh, you suggested as the devil Tiffany Haddish, and I thought that was a brilliant idea. I thought of the perfect devil after that episode. I thought Terry Crews would be an excellent devil. <laughs> it, it, especially if Tiffany Haddish. <laughs> like, like, these really these two like extremely comic actors. That'd be, be really fantastic. funny. Yeah. Um, so Jess has their own casting ideas. Uh, here are some like, cast ideas for a poor devil remake. Satan played by either Sean Connery. Or Ron Perlman. Yeah. Sean Connery wouldn't do it. He's retired. He's super retired, uh, but Ron, Ron Perlman's good Ron Perlman's, yeah. Ron Perlman, because he can be funny and scary. He'd do it, yeah. Uh, that's the, great. the demon, Steve Martin. Ooh. Steve Martin today or Steve Martin in 1987? Either yeah. one. I think he'd still be great. <laughs> I love right. Steve Martin. He's funny. Uh, That'd be funny. The secretary, Jenny McCarthy. Sure. Um, and the mark, Brendan Fraser. Yeah, that yeah, one kind of writes itself. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I'm glad it's a bit bedazzled all over again, yeah. but whatever. He's, it's Thanks still, I like Brendan Fraser work. a lot, actually. Uh, there have been a lot of really great articles recently here about Brendan Fraser about yeah. how you know he was like 
the, the next comedic hunk of the world. And you see George of the Jungle and you understand why, because he's excellent in George Freaking of the Jungle. Brendan Fraser was on a real hit streak in the 90s. Yeah. You got George of the Jungle, you got The Mummy, mm. Encino Man, you know, Skeevan School Ties was a good, was a solid dramatic mm. film. He was he was real big, yeah. and then just the two thousands yeah, like, just didn't for, have the for hits some reason. Anymore. Yeah, like Dudley Do Right didn't do as well because it's not oh, as good as Guardians of the Jungle. But yeah, uh, Journey to the Center of the Earth it made money. Yeah. It wasn't a particularly good movie. He was in Crash, but who cares? He's barely in that yeah. movie. I, everyone forgets he's in it. <laughs> um, but then he had started doing like a whole bunch of like really kind of mm. cheaper family movies, like Furry Vengeance. And like I'm not going to call Brendan Fraser one of our great actors, but he's a very mm. charming leading man, and he deserved better <laughs> material than that. Uh, here's a letter from Sammy from Wynnum. Hello, Sammy from Wynnum. Uh, greeting, Fisting Till Wednesday. <laughs> that was one of our fake bands. <laughs> was it? It was, Fisting okay. Till Wednesday. Oh uh, there has been a show that has been a show that you <laughs> mentioned uh, mentioned uh, to get to since you announced the beginning of Cancel Too Soon that I really believe needs to be reviewed. Okay. Constantine was the little show that almost could. It was doomed to fail because of its time slot and other shows using the same source material coming before it. It was a fascinating look at a character that you liked but couldn't cheer for because he was an absolute monster. I would love to hear your guys' thoughts on the program. Uh, last thing, there has been a show that only me and my dad seem to remember uh, when I... Uh, when I ask my friends if they remember Cadillacs and Dinosaurs, oh, yeah, I, I get looks like I made it up on some bad trip. Have you heard of this forgotten gem? I hope it's still good. I don't want to go back and ruin my most nostalgia. Cheers, I, Sammy from Winnie. I never saw the cartoon series. It was a reasonably popular mm-hmm. cult comic book for a while. And so it became, yeah. and I think it even had a video game, and it became a TV series. It is short-lived enough that we could cover it on this program. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. My thing with Constantine mm-hmm. is... We were gonna. It was one of our earliest. Uh, uh, like, oh, it was. It was canceled around the same time we started this program. Yeah, so everyone says, "Get to that right away." We, and, yeah. we, and we wanted to, and then we were just like, "He just popped up in an episode of Arrow." Let's see, we, because there was a lot of talk about maybe bringing him back for like a, a yeah, reboot so series. So we were going to wait on that, maybe a little bit. And I'm glad. And and the reason why we didn't do Constantine for Justice League of Justice Month or Justice mm. Month of Justice, yeah. uh, back in November, was he was just doing uh, he, that character has been brought back with the same actor in the same continuity on Legends of Tomorrow, and he's still like been doing it. Yeah. Um. So we're not 100 percent sure how canceled he is <laughs> right now. No. But here's what I will well, say: his solo series was canceled and we've bent our rules before we did Herbie the Love Bomb well even Future Cop that is arguably they may have had kind of another chance but it's kind of nebulous and hard to say exactly I think at some point we need to do like maybe a theme month where we do kinda Kinda canceled. Yeah, like you know, like it doesn't quite fit our rules, but obviously it's in the same theme. Uh-huh. Um, someone uh, uh, gave us uh, um, because they donated it. We will get to it eventually. Uh, Jericho, which uh-huh. came back for like another few episodes to wrap itself up. Uh-huh. Um, so we'll probably do that at some point. Mm-hmm. There's a few, um, but Constantine is always on our radar. We're just keep putting it off because we're not sure how canceled he is. He's still around. <laughs> also, you know, we'd love to get to the newer stuff and we like covering the newer stuff. I really enjoyed our entire month where we did nothing but things that were canceled that season. And we're going to keep doing Because we that. got to do Pitch and Imaginary Mary back to back. That was weird whiplash. <laughs> But yeah, it's it's also fun to delve back into stuff like Future Cop. Yeah. So we'll we'll we, we'll we'll see we'll whenever, see on Constantine. Whenever, As, I do remember Cadillacs and Dinosaurs. Whenever though. possible, we try to like. Obviously, we do been doing more theme months lately. I think those are really really fun because you get to really immerse yourself and really compare <laughs> one and contrast. concept. Yeah, you can really compare and contrast how other shows, different shows, handled the same material. 
but we whenever possible we try to go like recent old kind of back to back. Yeah, you know. Yeah. But you know, but you're right. Constantine is one we've been promising for a while. We'll probably we'll get, get to it eventually. Uh, here's a letter from Scott. Hello, Scott. Uh, hey, Bibbs and Whitney. Your discussion for, of safe for TV versions of movies made me think of back in the day when they would shoot a PG version of the same movie, mm-hmm. uh, which I think we kind of brushed on. I think we uh, might have mentioned that. The craziest one I can remember is Cheech and Chong's next movie. I saw a TV cut which. Uh, in which all the changes to weed were references to diamonds. What? Thanks. Oh my god! god that, I had no idea that he said that's funny. Oh, that is so strange. The most notorious version of that I can think of is mm-hmm. actually uh, Brian De Palma's Carrie. Okay. Um, there's a lot of nudity in Carrie, mm-hmm. and so they knew they were going to show it on TV someday, so they shot a versions of the same scenes where everyone was wearing underwear. Okay. Um, but what they didn't do was they didn't reshoot all the scenes where there was like horrific profanity gra- uh, graffito tagged on a wall <laughs> so like you'll have like this safer version of carrie but it still says like eats shit like right yeah. there foregrounded on tv I, and they I, never cut it out i mentioned in our conversation that i saw the shining on tv and they dubbed the profanity but they didn't cut the full frontal nude scene of the ghost in the bathtub super weird uh and my guess was they didn't do that because they're they're actually covering for the kids in that instance, there's like a kid who is watching this R-rated film, but their parent isn't in the room with them. It's like, I'm watching The Shining while it's on TV. It's probably safe. And the ki- the parent is like in the kitchen preparing dinner or something. And they hear the kid watching TV and they hear that the profanities cover up. Okay, it's safe. But that like nude scene is like, don't tell your parents. Don't, 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 don't let them know. Don't let them know. Well, that's like, irresponsible. So, uh, it's, it's irresponsible, <laughs> but it's like this contract between a, a person who's too young to be watching The Shining and the person who is broadcasting The Shining to them. Yeah, it's it's pretty dark. It's really that dark. was my theory. Okay, fine. What, what do we got? Uh, here, one, one or two more. Here's a uh, letter from Lonnie. Hello, Lonnie. Hi. Uh, hello. I was listening to an episode of the Blank Check podcast in which they discuss the canceled too soon uh, Cameron Crowe Showtime series Roadies. Oh yeah. What we'd like to get to Roadies. We know about at some Roadies. Point. Yeah. Uh, the interesting thing is. That is uh, that one of the co-hosts, Griffin Newman, played Casper in Vinyl, and he briefly discusses his role on that show. Oh, there you go. <laughs> so, little Cancel Too Soon synergy there. During the episode, they reference an actual television program that lasted a whopping two episodes back in 2005 called Inconceivable, a drama about a fertility clinic. Oh, uh, I remember. The second oh, episode was called that, right? Secrets yeah. and Thighs. So, they mention a Cancel Too Soon series on a show that was Cancel Too Soon, starring a, an actor from another Cancel Too Soon series. Well, like we say, the history so, of television, a history of failure. Yeah, Most stuff fails. Can, can, canceledception. There. Any, any actor, writer, director, anyone who works long enough in the industry finds themselves attached to a show that got canceled real quick, yeah, well, sooner or later. How many times have we seen Adam West, for goodness sake? Oh, it's most of Jason Bateman's career. Like. <laughs> anyway, uh, on to a recommendation uh, that I actually stand by, Clone High. We've heard of Clone High. Uh, Clone High, we yeah. get a lot of requests I can, for. I, we'll I can't be the first person right. to mention it, but I know you guys keep some sort of tally system for suggestions. We have a long list. Yeah. Uh, I haven't watched it since it aired. And I was an impressionable youth at the time, but I remember li- thinking it was smart, funny a series that could have been Daria's successor if it hadn't been canceled too soon. Uh, thanks, Lonnie. Okay. Mm. Uh, yeah, Clone High, we've had a lot of requests for. We'll, we'll do Clone High sooner or later. Yeah. Uh, we've got time for one more. Uh, sure. Uh, here's another one from Cecil. So, okay. he, like I said, he writes. Let's in a do lot. two more. One more from Cecil. Right, one more from okay. someone else. Uh, this one's from Cecil. Hey guys, uh, four, this is about four kids. We were talking about Fox Kids 
programs at oh, some yeah. point. Uh, Four Kids was a subsidiary of Fox that took the anime and remarketed it to kids for better Pokemon or worse. One Piece. I don't know One Piece. Uh, I was like a oh, was that pirate that pirate guy. It was like a I coin. I think I've seen it on. I think it was a pirate thing. Yeah, I think I saw a couple episodes of that. This led to some really silly things like OMG, these burgers are great, but look totally like eating burgers with chopsticks and not sushi. I yep. remember on Pokemon, they referred to uh, rice patties as donuts in the dub. Oh, it's always weird when they try. Yeah. Like, we know what rice is. Uh, just say it's a rice pat. It's fine. Who cares? They're talking creatures in this world. It's all right. That shoot lightning out their cheeks. Uh, it's also the localization. Uh, they made the shows really cool. And there are loads of songs that were put into the American version. I remember listening to the Pokemon Christmas album. Do you? Wait, I want to pause there. <laughs> Pokemon Christmas album. Let me Pokemon wrap my head Christmas around that. Album. Okay, Pokemon Christmas. Okay, but all the I'm Pokemon there. can only say their own names, mm-hmm. so it's basically just gonna be like a, only, Pikachu, Pikachu, Pika, Pikachu, Pika, all the Chew. Sure, why not? There were human characters that did speak on that program. Yeah. I seem to recall, and there was one Pokemon that spoke English. Uh, I remember listening to the Pokemon Christmas album about seventy-five times, and it was awesome. Um, Cecil, okay. Cecil, I hate to contradict you on something. <laughs> Let him have it. I'll let you let know. Let him have it. All right. Uh, four Kids gets a lot of crap from fans of anime, but a lot of those people wouldn't have been fans if it wasn't for them. Also, Pokemon 3, the movie, is awesome. It's the one where the unknown, a Pokemon, uses their magic to physically manifest an eight-year-old's girl of post-traumatic stress disorder. I also love Yu-Gi-Oh! and card captors. Um, remember, if, <laughs> remember, guys, if you don't succeed at first, hit them with your blue eyes white dragon again, Cecil. Noted. Uh, the import of anime mm-hmm. to America was a huge shot in the arm, I think, the Saturday morning cartoons. Yeah, we're um, kind of had... getting a little low, slow I, there. We'd had like Astro Boy and Speed mm-hmm. Racer, but when we started getting stuff like Robotech and Voltron, mm-hmm. um, we, and or um, Battle of the Planets, we all of a sudden started seeing, they're like, oh yeah, cartoons don't have to be animated like shit. <laughs> because there was always this huge difference between like the Disney animation or even mm-hmm. the anime if you're lucky to see it you'd see in a theater in like the 80s where everything was like you know you animated 24 frames for mm-hmm. every frame of footage well, they, every... they animated 12 frames but yeah well a lot of them did yeah. the whole thing but like regardless you would you'd have a lot and then you'd see the Hanna-Barbera stuff and it's just like it's what they call limited animation Huckleberry Hound isn't mm. fucking moving come on <laughs> My God! Well, it's so, really like, strange when they uh, went to make Brocky and Bullwinkle into a feature film, and there was an animated sequence, like cell animated. Yeah, and they actually like moved naturally, and their lips matched the words. It and seemed their art. wrong. It, it didn't look right. Yeah. So, but like you know, we we had better animation in the eighties. Like He Man didn't look. Yes, awful? it did. Yes, like, it did. Compared to Huckleberry Hound, it looked a little better. It, but like, it was equally limited. They didn't move a lot in that show, you might know. They didn't. But then we saw all these great dynamic images, mm. these dynamic shots, and we started using more Japanese animation studios to animate American shows. Mm. And rough, rough draft in Korea. Yeah. Just standards were different, and it just it worked so much better. It was so much more exciting. Um, some of the shows were better than others. Robotech still holds up pretty well, actually. <laughs> um, like, there's some really good drama in there, and some mm. of the animations rock solid. Um, so yeah, it was it was a big deal, and like, the, it took a long time for anime to sort of hit its stride in America and mm. become readily available in America. Well, but now th- that it is, it's great. Yeah, thanks to uh, Power Rangers and Pokemon, which all hit in like the late nineties. Uh, a lot of Japanese imports became the hip thing, and kids were consuming. It was cheap to produce as well. We need to uh, uh, we need to do some more anime on this program. Anime, mm. you know, doesn't really work 
on the same like sort of production level that yeah, American yeah. shows do. But there's a lot of anime shows that were intended to go on further and didn't. And, well, and, we and need I'd to love, do a few more. I'd love to find more anime ha- like after it had been repurposed for American TV, like mm. trying to use that anime production in a much more uh, conventional Western American style mm. uh, or just sort of marketplace. I think that's a more interesting story to to explore. I think it's like, I think it's another yeah. interesting story to explore. Okay. okay. Uh here's one one last letter from last Richard. Letter. Uh hello from Patreon member 64 or 65 or 66 or 67. I have to confess I didn't pay much attention to the counter when I pledged. Well, we appreciate you Thank regardless. you for ple- for pledging. Whatever your number is, it's the best number. Um <laughs> I'm almost positive I'm somewhere in the mid 60s. Uh in the 1970s and a bit into the 1980s, if you found yourself with a high-charting single on the pop charts, there was a fighting chance you would end up with your own variety show. Uh, Sonny and Cher, Tony Orlando and Dawn, Donnie and Marie, even the goofballs who sang Afternoon Delight got their own show, which was featured a very young David Letterman. Oh, I didn't know uh, would you be interested in expanding the reach of your show to incorporate these oddities? I don't know how many episodes you can get from them, but I'm guessing the number would be close to a dozen. Now, if you'll excuse me, I'm off to watch the Bay City Rollers live action Saturday morning show. Good times. That's not real. Is that real? The Bay City Rollers live action Saturday morning show? I would have to look that up. We need to look that up. If that's I'd... real, we got to do that. <laughs> Assuming it didn't last. Yeah. Probably didn't. Um, we've been wanting to do the Brady Bunch variety hour for a while. Yeah, we, we, uh, I, I have a friend who's really, really deep into like Brady Bunch ephemera, like outside of the main series. There's, there's actually probably enough failed Brady Bunch spinoffs that we could do a whole month on the Brady Bunch. Yeah, probably. Because the Brady Bunch was a hit series, but then there was like the Brady Wives, mm. and like at least one, <laughs> I think it was one failed Brady pilot where all like mm. the Brady kids were parents now. I think, I, I think it's called the Brady Kids. Yeah, like there's a there's a bunch, mm. actually. There's a whole bunch of Brady shit. Mm. Um, yeah. It's weird because they, they never stopped being popular. They always kept making more of them. They never were a hit. The only like hit Brady spinoff were the movies. Mm. And the movies are good. Well, and the movies <laughs> good at the time. Well, the movies were sort of like tongue-in-cheek ironic jabs at the Brady Bunch. They they're, still they're, good. they're satires and homages at the same time. But yeah, th- those movies were all right. Yeah. All right, cast every- lookalikes as all the kids. All right, listen, everybody. Thank you very, very much for listening to Cancel Too Soon this week. Next week, we'll be back with a review of the Cop with Robot Partner pilot, Condor. Um, and, uh, you know, you can always, you can follow us on Twitter at CancelCast. I'm at William Bibiani. I'm at Whitney Seibold. You can listen to our other podcast, Cance- uh, Critically Acclaimed, over on the Schmoes No iTunes feed mm-hmm. and on the SK Plus YouTube channel. Um, and if that's not doing it for you, you can always get a little bit extra content over at our Patreon page, uh, patreon.com slash cancel too soon. Mm-hmm. We got, uh, some exclusive videos over there. We got, uh, bonus monthly episodes. We're going to be doing a, a pilot season in which we come up with a few other, uh, bonus podcasts that you're going to get to vote on and you're going to get to take one of them to series. <laughs> you, the listeners. That's going to happen. We're going to probably put that together for April, I think mm-hmm. is the current plan. Uh, so yeah, there's a bunch of different tiers on there and also you get to vote for, uh, one episode episode of the show every month uh this month since we're doing all cops with robot partner stuff and there aren't that many uh we had we're having people vote for uh the tv movie mm, we're gonna thanks. do that's also robot centric uh right now uh the electric grandmother i think is way ahead i, I think it is a commanding lead but I there's still time to vote there's still a little time to vote we haven't watched it yet so we'll check we'll double check again before we commit to that um so that's what's going on so thank you everybody for listening mm. and uh that's a wrap we'll see you next season 